tales of horror. As the sleepless hours tick past. Brace yourself for the No Sleep Podcast. Some things with a computer. What? Down the road, all paved to hell. Where we go, none can tell. Need to call. Can't. Through the dark of death's decay, show us the path to carve the way. Data locked. The bus demon. Kylie Ladwig. Matthew Bradford, Ellie Hirschman, Graham Rowett. PMSFX Brandon Boone There are a few things I believe explicitly. Always say thank you. Never wear white to a barbecue joint. And if you didn't have a ride to the bus to and from school every morning, you were lucky. Honestly, I don't know who designed them, but whoever did must have really hated children. I mean, school buses were lawless, dangerous lands, lazily ruled over by the underpaid drivers who never actually gave a shit past, don't hit them, sit down. And even then, if you were quiet enough, you could get away with murder. Of course, you love the freedom of no seatbelts when you're too small to really understand the ramifications of not having them. But try and not think about what would happen if one of those giant yellow death traps rolled over and you'll never want to step into one again. I used to beg my dad to take me to school, to pick me up, to let me walk, anything to avoid that smelly prepubescent hellhole. But being a single father, he had to spend more time working than carting me around so I never got that lucky. The school was a half-hour drive from our house, so walking was a no-go. And honestly, a free ride is a free ride. One of the worst parts was having to get up every morning at 4.30am in order to be out and waiting for the bus at 5.45am. It didn't help that every day was the same. The seat was the same, middle, right-hand side, next to the window. The friend I sat next to was the same, PJ, A blonde, skinny farm kid who always vaguely smelled like cornbread was always way, way, way too wide awake and was my best friend. The driver was the same. The roads, the noise level, who was bullied. PJ always talked about his pet pig, Bertha, or Barry for short, and what she'd done that day when he was taking care of her. I'd nod in the right places, grunt periodically to feign interest, while in reality I was trying very hard not to fall asleep again. That's the way every single one of my days started until I got a license in my own car. And to be honest, most days were a blur of expected monotony where the only deviation was what shirt I was wearing. Well, basically every day. 
save for one. None of us talked about it. I tried bringing it up with PJ at my 25th birthday party, but the words died in my throat before they could even come out. He gave me this look like he knew what I was going to ask, but didn't want to talk about it. I nodded and we went back to drinking. So this will be the first time I actually talk about it, actually face it. My wife thinks it's a good idea, thinks it might help me overcome the terror I have when routines deviate, when Halloween approaches. She doesn't know why, doesn't know what happened, obviously. Maybe she's right and it'll free me. Or maybe I'm just dredging up memories that should stay in the muck of my mind. Either way, we're going to find out. I was in third grade when it happened. Yawning, I tugged on the dinosaur costume my dad had purchased for me over the weekend when we realized wearing a costume on Halloween that year was mandatory. Something about a photo for the local paper. As I walked to the bus stop, I agonized over whether or not it was babyish. I wanted to be a Power Ranger, but we couldn't afford that costume on such short notice. That's why I didn't notice anything off initially. I don't think looking up would have made a difference, though. The seat beneath me was cold and rough, different from the worn pleather, alerting me to the first thing that was wrong. I barely gave it a second thought, though, fiddling with the front zipper of the dark green onesie, hood prominently featuring a dinosaur head up around my ears. My fingers itched to wrench it off, but they were still for fear of looking even more stupid. The bus started and drove off, down the road to PJ's house. Twenty minutes later, PJ got on the bus, pale skin even paler, eyes wide. My nose wrinkled in confusion when I saw him. What? PJ was wearing the same costume as last year. Dark cuffed jeans, white t-shirt, black leather jacket. His hair greased back like Danny Zuko. He looked like he was contemplating sitting, but the bus lurched forward and he stumbled into the seat. Anything look different to you? Looking around, my eyes skipped over the small things at first, desperate to ask him if my costume was stupid. I was about to shake my head, my mouth opening, but PJ grabbed my arm, face pleading with me. A heavy sigh escaped me as I slowed my gaze down and really took in the details. The first thing I noticed were the seats again. Yesterday, they were black, cracked, and worn from use, soft and pliable. They were hard and scratchy, the color and consistency of sandpaper. Next were the windows, scratched to hell from the inside with... Was that blood? That had to be blood. Every window was like that, even the one in the front. How did the bus driver see through it? At first I thought they were Halloween decorations. Maybe our bus driver had gone all out this year and really decked out the bus. But he never did that. I mean, if anything, he was anti-everything holiday-themed. Had he finally cracked? Or maybe we had a sub? I looked towards the front, ready to see the normal bus driver or familiar substitute. I didn't. The bus driver. See, normally it was this grumpy older guy who always wore an army vet cap and flannel. Instead, it was someone a lot younger looking. Skin so pale and yellow, he looked sick. He wore a white polo, fine white hair slicked back severely. I looked up at the giant mirror and immediately wished I had it. His lips were thin, dry, cracked over every inch and pulled into the widest smile I'd ever seen. 
It stretched from ear to ear like a string was pulling the corners of his mouth into his ear cavities. And his eyes were wide, bright red veins traveling over the blinding white and trailing into irises so black his pupils disappeared. From there, it was a cascade of realizations. The ceiling was too high. The windows wouldn't open. There wasn't an escape door in the back or on top. The floor was sticky and stained with more dried blood. I looked under the seat in front of me and had to bite my hand to keep the screams in. There was a bone, scratched and chipped, and picked clean. I sat up and turned towards PJ, eyes and pallor matching his. These weren't decorations. This wasn't our normal bus, and that wasn't a normal bus driver. He handed me a note, holding a finger to his lips. The driver would be able to see us. He would figure out that we were onto him if we weren't careful. I unfolded it slowly, reading the hasty scrawl. Warn everyone. The note I made was precise and legible. Do not get caught. Driver is not ours. Bus is not either. Danger. Stay quiet and calm. I passed the note to the people behind us and slowly watched as it made its way around the bus. The driver would look up periodically and all movement would stiffen and stop. He never said anything. The smile never broke from his face. Time meant nothing. We'd picked up the last kid before we started passing the note and everyone was accounted for. Why hadn't we seen it earlier? PJ had, and yet he still got on. Why did he get on? The note made its way back to me. No one had written on it, refolded it wrong, torn it. Everyone understood the magnitude of what we were facing. But what exactly were we facing? I've had a long time to think about what this thing was. Was he human? A demon? A supernatural being? I'm still not sure. A part of me believes that it had to be supernatural. I don't want to believe that a human is capable of that. We rode in absolute silence. The only things you could hear were the roar of the engine and the quiet sniffles as some of us cried. We understood this was bad. We understood this wasn't a simple Halloween prank. There wasn't going to be a smiling parent or adult or a warm embrace at the end of this road. The anticipation of what might happen was driving me insane. Would he kill us? Where was he taking us? Why us? So many questions raced through my head, and I had exactly no answers, which caused my brain to make up increasingly worse scenarios in an attempt to be ready for anything, soften the blow, prepare me for my inevitable death. I think that was the one thing we all knew. We were going to die. The blood that congealed at our feet and on the ruined windows told us as much. I looked out the window, trying to figure out where we were, maybe where we were going. It was so scratched, though, the only thing I could see was a blur of color and the light filtering in. When I'd gotten on, it was that new morning dark, but now it was so bright the sun had to have been at its crescendo. PJ linked his arm in mine and I grabbed his hand, holding it tight. It was the closest we could get to holding each other without the driver realizing we were onto him, and I would take it. I'd have taken any form of human contact. During this whole thing, the driver never said a word, never made a noise. His eyes would flicker between us and the road, sizing us up individually, eyelids staying wide open, smile never faltering. I wondered briefly if that was just his face's natural resting position, if that's just how he was. 
I'm still not sure what would have terrified me more, truthfully. It was only when the light that filtered through the windows turned black that the driver stopped the bus. Stop one! The driver's voice popped and crackled, low and loud, the cadence seemingly random. It gave the impression that he didn't fully understand human speech, or he was so rusty it was slowly coming back to him. The girl who stopped this was, Andy, took a deep, stuttering breath. We all watched, no one breathing as she stood. The girl beside her whimpered, starting to reach out to grab the hem of Andy's fairy skirt. But Andy shook her head a fraction, holding her chin high as she took that first step, slowly walking to the front, face steeled and determined. She had obviously decided that if she was going to die, she would go out with defiance on her face. He watched her with his eyes, tracking her movements. He didn't turn his head to her, didn't move a muscle before she got to the front. When she did, his arms slowly reached out and opened the doors, the tendons rippling in an unnatural way beneath his thin skin, the veins purple with contrast. The door creaked open, and Andy slowly walked down the steps, not wanting to make any sudden movements. The door slammed behind her when she was out of the frame, and we took off. That happened over and over with each stop. He would call out the number and the corresponding kids would slowly get off. The door would slam shut and we would be roaring back down the road. There was never a moment when you could relax, even with this pattern starting to develop. It could deviate at a moment's notice and that deviation would mean death. We got to the kid before my stop and I squeezed PJ's hand, not wanting to leave him alone but wanting to get off that damn bus. She got off and we raced off again. We drove for a lot longer than I remembered, but I was trying to rationalize that it only seemed longer because I was scared. Stop 34. That wasn't me. I was 33. I looked at PJ, terrified. There was the deviation. It was me. He gulped and I started to shake, terror ricocheting through me. What had I done? Had he figured out we were passing a note? Did he know I was the one who sent it out? PJ's stop came up quickly. I thought he was going to leave me behind. I was convinced I would be alone at the end of the road with this monster. As soon as the doors opened though, without hesitation, he tugged me up and dragged me with him to the front. The driver didn't open the door when we arrived. Instead, he turned his head slowly and stared. Another deviation. It was quiet for a long couple of seconds all of us waiting. PJ and I were breaking the law that had been established. What was the punishment? Would the road end sooner than I thought? He's spending the night. The driver looked at me, and I saw the first shift in his face. His eyes darkened with anger. His pale, long, veiny hand reached out, and I flinched slightly, imagining how his skin would feel as it grabbed me and dragged me away. But instead of grabbing me, he pulled the lever and the doors opened. I hesitated. Of course I hesitated. Moments ago I'd been convinced I was going to die, and now he was letting me go? PJ grabbed my hand and tugged me down the steps, shoulders tense, ready for anything. As soon as we were both on solid ground, the doors slammed behind us. I turned quickly, wanting to see what the bus looked like before it was gone. 
didn't need more than a few seconds to burn it into my memory forever. It was taller than a normal bus, a dull pastel yellow. On the side, instead of school bus, it said children bus, same type of font as the normal buses. I saw one last thing as the bus took off, before it disappeared. By the door, at the same height I was, and about the same size as mine, was a bloody handprint like someone was trying to get out of the bus before being pulled back in. We got back just late enough that parents were starting to panic. As PJ and I were walking in, his parents were on the phone with my dad. They drilled us, of course. I mean, it was Halloween, after all, and none of us had made it to school, made it back in time for trick-or-treating. We didn't say anything about what happened, None of the kids on that bus did, actually. We never talked about it. Not even the next day when we got on the real school bus and saw Milton wasn't there. All of the adults looked for him. It became a nationwide ordeal. He was never found, and we never told them why. He's appeared on a couple of cold case shows. One was even dedicated to people who disappeared on Halloween. Watching that one made me realize the pattern. The bus demon had been doing this for a really, really long time. I know that PJ saved my life that day. Without him, I wouldn't be here, watching my pregnant wife sleep. Until I started driving, my dad let me skip school every Halloween. I think he understood something had happened, but he didn't know how to talk about it with me. So instead, I got to stay home. Halloween is a few days away. I've been trying really hard not to think about the demon. It's hard though. Since October hit, I've been hearing school buses up and down my neighborhood at all hours of the night. I thought that it stopped the year I got my license. I also know that when my baby goes to school, they won't be taking the bus. The demon started creeping around again after we found out my wife was pregnant. I think he has some unfinished business with me and he plans on collecting one way or another. I'm not having any... No, it's... Yes, I've... Floating, flying, exit sphere. Round and cubed. Not there, nor here. The keyboards... And mouse. On screen, but it's... Underground and underwater. Bring your souls unto the slaughter. Data locked. Leaves in the river. William Stewart. Mike Del Gordio, Jessica McAvoy, Graham Rowett, Atticus Jackson, PMSFX, Brandon Boone. It's end time. 
pools are closing and school supplies are stacked up at the grocery store. Pop-up stores are hanging their vinyl signs, getting ready for the mobs. The days are shorter, and although it's still really hot outside, the air is a little crisper, a little drier. And if you try, you can almost catch the scent of smoke and cinnamon on the breeze. Not yet. It's still fully summer, but almost. I roll my cart through the store, checking the list and trying not to indulge in the samples they have set up today. Pumpkin Spice IPA. Caramel Stout. Apple Cider. I stop and look at one of the bottles. It features a jack-o'-lantern with glowing eyes sitting in front of a house where a smiling witch stands on the front porch. And just like that, I'm taken back to college 21 years ago. It was one of those rare seasons where Halloween landed on a Saturday, so everyone in town had big plans. All the bars and clubs had drink specials, and everyone with half a mind was having a party, including us. Zach and Teddy and I had been planning this party for weeks, as it was going to be the first major event on our new place off campus. And as things turned out, we had a pretty good turnout. The house was near to full, and there were kids milling about in both the front and backyards. I wandered around talking with people and drinking beer most of the night, with the occasional jello shot thrown in for good measure. Most everyone had at least some kind of costume, so there was plenty of vinyl and latex scattered about, accentuated by the orange and green party bulbs we'd installed in the fixtures. Zach had made several mixed CDs of Halloween classics to play through the night, so the three of us stood back and admired our handiwork, while co-eds danced to remixed versions of Monster Mash. Dude, we nailed it! Teddy's voice was muffled by his Freddy Krueger mask, while Zach looked sinister in his white jumpsuit and fake eyelashes, Alex from A Clockwork Orange. Hell yeah, we did! Party of the century! I nodded, raised my bottle in agreement, but I was no longer listening. For there, near the kitchen, looking a bit confused, was the most beautiful girl I had ever seen. She was dressed as a witch or a vampire or something. Medium-length blonde hair with black streaks framed a pretty, almost pale face with large eyes that were accentuated by dark makeup. She wore a black shirt with fishnet sleeves and a black skirt that ended just above her knees, revealing a few inches of fishnet that plunged into tall black boots. Over her shoulders, a simple vinyl cape hung to her waist. She held an unlit cigarette in one hand and a beer bottle in the other as she looked around. I'll be back. My own cape flowed around my black-clad form as I, the Grim Reaper, moved to meet this lovely newcomer before someone else did. Welcome. Welcome. Can I offer you a drink? Get you an ashtray, maybe? She seemed a bit startled when I spoke, but she smiled shyly. I, uh, I think I might be at the wrong party. I was meeting my friends, but I think I came to the wrong house. Well, it's a costume party, and you're in costume, so you can't be too far off. She looked around uncertainly again and shrugged. I don't know. It seems like the place, but I don't know anyone here. Is that weird? Maybe they're just not here yet. It's still early. I held out my gloved hand. I'm Brandon. Caroline. I forced every bit of confidence from my half-drunken self. Well, Caroline, you're welcome to wait or use the phone if you like. 
beers in the fridge. There's a keg in the back. Bathroom's down the hall. I do hope they show up, though. The party was pretty lame till you got here. I hoped it came off as cool or charming rather than cheesy. I looked at the floor and then back up, and to my surprise and delight, she was smiling. Thank you, Brandon. Was she blushing? I'll hang out for a little while anyway. My stomach was assailed with butterflies. Great! I was maybe a bit too enthusiastic. She was still smiling, but she was moving toward amusement. I looked about, trying to think of something else to say, but my mind had gone blank. Hey, Brandon, little help? That's me. I'll be right back. I hurried outside. I passed the sliding glass door to the patio. Zack and a bunch of other guys held red solo cups with some noxious concoction poured into them and were chanting, shots, shots, shots. shots. Someone passed me one and then another. Here's to the three amigos. We all tapped cups and then downed our drinks. Whatever it was, it was sweet and strong. I nodded at my friends and carried the other cup inside to offer to Caroline, but she had disappeared. I looked around the front and backyards, assuming she had just gone to smoke, but she was nowhere to be found. My heart sank. Where had she gone, and why did she leave? Crestfallen, I swallowed the other shot and then went to the fridge. I shoved a beer into each pocket, then popped the top on a third before bumming a cigarette and going out to sulk. I stomped down the street and sat on the retaining wall over the sidewalk. I rolled the cigarette between my fingers after realizing I didn't have a lighter. Everything okay? Caroline sat down beside me. Her voice was pure velvet, and the butterflies began anew. Uh, Me? Yeah, I'm just a little... I thought you left. I really should get going. This is definitely the wrong party. You get in touch with your friends? No, but I figured out what happened. It's... It's nothing. It's okay, anyway. I stay closer to here than there. Where is that? Where is what? Uh, Where do you live? She looked at me strangely. I mean, like, do you live in the dorms or something? She smiled. You want to go for a walk? I'm not really into parties. I got to my feet and followed Caroline as she wandered down the sidewalk to the intersection a few houses down. We turned into a brisk wind and drops of cold rain began to fall on us as we trudged into the night. I trotted to keep up with her as she crossed her arms and put her head down against the wind. I was chilly, but my cape and gloves were at least a little bit of help. I reached back and pulled my hood over my head to stave off the cold. Caroline, for her part, seemed unbothered as she walked up the windy street. Her hair blew in all directions as we were pelted with large drops of freezing rain. I could see my breath when I panted up to her at the next stop sign. Where, uh, where to next? She pointed, and we turned back into the neighborhood, just a few blocks down from where we'd started, but into an older part of the subdivision with larger trees and bigger yards. The wind had blown leaves all over the place. Every yard was covered in them, and they danced through the streets on small whirlwinds. As the ground got wetter, they got softer, and our footfalls became mute against the damp carpet of leaves. A few lonely porch lights still burned in the night, although the trick-or-treaters had long since gone home. I wondered for a moment if there was still candy to be had behind any of those doors. Then I thought the better of it. I pulled one of the beers from my pocket and cracked the top. Nope, somewhere along the line, different activities had replaced knocking on doors and asking for treats. Besides, nobody wants a drunk, wet, 
grim reaper knocking on their door at 11 o'clock at night, Halloween or not. Best to let them alone with their dreams. A sudden strong gust of wind rushed through the neighborhood, scattering the leaves, knocking the dry ones out from underneath the wet ones. Caroline and I stopped and watched them as they flew so high they got lost in the darkness above the street lamps. Oh, I've never seen that before. Me either. We strolled next to each other down the middle of the street, slower now, watching the leaves spinning in their strange waltz. I tried to make conversation. How far do you think a single leaf can travel on its own? Huh? I bent down and picked up a leaf, spinning its stem between my thumb and forefinger. So, you're this leaf, and the wind comes up, right? So, like, you may get blown against a house and just end up across the street in a pile, not a hundred feet from where you started. Or maybe you're one of the lucky ones who gets blown down the street to the intersection. Then you could go north or south, right? Maybe blow into the back of a truck and end up in the city somewhere. I tossed the leaf into the air and watched it flutter to the ground. You could even end up in a river and float all the way out to sea, thousands of miles even. Just one little leaf. She looked lost in thought for a second before answering. Why is the leaf that travels the lucky one? What do you mean? What if landing in a cozy pile in some suburban yard is where the leaf wants to be? Isn't that just as lucky as the one that makes it to the river? I suppose. I was just thinking of, like, randomness and stuff. Like, two leaves start off in the same place, and one ends up here, and another ends up there. That's all. I know. I'm sorry. It's just... I always wanted to travel. Always thought home was lame and that somewhere else was where I'd find myself. I learned that you have to be happy where you are, you know? Took me a long time to figure that out. I glanced over at her. My attempt at lighthearted chat had gone serious. She kept her eyes on the sidewalk as we strolled, and I hadn't realized that our pace had slowed to a crawl. She looked sad. Look, I didn't mean anything by it. I love piles of leaves. Just, just... Never jump into a pile of leaves holding a wet sucker. I was quoting Linus from Great Pumpkin. She looked over at me. Her sad eyes narrowed and then smiled again. I got a rock. The tension fell away as suddenly as it had come, and we were back on our adventure. We walked down several more streets, taking in the decorations. Jack-o'-lanterns sat on nearly every porch. Most had long since blown out, but some still had tenacious candles that glowed orange in the night. I was mildly surprised that no teenagers had come through smashing them yet, but I guessed it was still a little early. This is it. She pointed at a small brick house. This is what? Where I grew up. I looked at the place. It was really run down, with a falling fence and a yard full of weeds that hadn't been mowed in ages. An ancient for-sale sign leaned against the dented garage door. All the lights were out, and standing in contrast to the streetlights and the houses on either side, it somehow seemed even darker. This place had been vacant for a long time. Caroline sat on the wall at the edge of the yard. You mind if we stop for a while? She still held her cigarette and her bottle. My bum smoke had gotten soaked and fallen apart long ago. I wondered how hers had remained dry, but I didn't dwell on it for long. I fished the last can of beer from my pocket and sat down beside her. When did your family move? Nobody moved. He... She put the bottle to her lips and took a drink. There was a death. He... He couldn't go on after... Um... He... 
He thought I'd left him after the, uh, car, but, but I didn't. Not that it mattered, because he didn't know. Couldn't know. It was all my fault. She took another drink and then looked at me sadly and shrugged. He never knew. I didn't know what to say. Someone had done something terrible and she blamed herself. In that moment, all I wanted in the world was to see her smile again. To see that that beautiful spirit I found so enchanting. I racked my brain for something to say, but all that came out was, Hey, come on now. That's no way to feel. Do you always talk like that? She blushed a little and put the bottle to her lips again. It really only happens when I drink. We sat there in silence for a little while, sipping our beers in front of this empty old house. I watched the leaves dance in the wind and thought of burned piles and candied apples. I'd always loved Halloween, and this one had been amazing for sure. Caroline reached over and took my hand in hers, and through my glove I could feel that she was freezing. For the first time, I realized that my feet were numb in my boots and that perhaps walking for so long through freezing rain was not the best idea in the world. But I was warmed by the booze and by the feeling that there was nowhere I would rather be than right here, right now, in this perfect, peaceful moment. She turned and looked at me, and I noticed that her hair was only just a little wet for having been walking in the rain for so long. The water dripped down her neck and off her costume and boots, but didn't seem to stick to her. I shook my head, and the alcohol threatened to make me spin, so I ignored the thought and stared at the house across the street instead. Something began to come into focus then. Something that had been creeping at the edges, but that I'd not been able to understand until now. I looked at the ground again. There in the cement beneath her feet was a child's handprint, where the water that dripped off her boots had collected. It was old, but still discernible in the light from the sodium lamp. From the shadow of the retaining wall, I could make out a few letters and numbers. O-Line 81. I thought on this for a while. It didn't quite make sense. Is that your handprint? She looked down and smiled broadly, the happiest I'd seen her since we left the party. (laughs) Yes. When they poured the new sidewalk. My dad let me do my handprint and write my name. It was on my eighth birthday. She hopped off the wall and put her hand to the print, seeing if it would fit. I did a bit of sloppy math in my head. That couldn't be right. If she was eight in 81, she would be in her 30s or something, 40s maybe. The girl I was with couldn't be a day over 20. I studied her crouching form. The fishnets on her left side were torn in places, and the skin underneath was darker, as if bruised. Had it been like that the whole time? I didn't think so. She looked up at me joyfully, the memory of her dad and her birthday still dancing in her head. That's when I noticed the left side of her face had the same discoloration, and now even her cape was torn, the left side shredded in spots. She looked at me quizzically. What's wrong? No matter how hard it rained, Caroline didn't get wet. Her cigarette was always dry, and her bottle was always full. It hit me like a punch in the gut. I stared into her bright, curious eyes, and I knew. I just shook my head and tried to fight back the tears that were already starting to flow. She stood up and stepped back into the street. Well, when we get home, I promise to give you a kiss. But not here, okay? 
I just nodded and watched her twirl and laugh, dancing with the leaves as they flew through the empty streets on their way to land in someone's yard. Or perhaps the city, or maybe even all the way to the river, just to float farther and farther away forever. I stayed there for a long time. When I could no longer hear her voice on the wind, I pulled my soaked hood up over my head and walked home alone. I think it's crashing, losing everything, again, on Halloween. Memento mori, scent of death, iron lung, your final breath. Uh, I'm starting to... a headache. Why won't this... Rack and ruin, undead bride, out of space and dead inside. Data locked. It's your funeral, A.J. Morell. Nicole Doolin, Atticus Jackson, Kyle Akers, Matthew Bradford, Ellie Hirschman, PMSFX, Brandon Boone. Most people know the word embalming, but few people actually know what it means. Embalming is a process through which the blood of the deceased is replaced by a concoction of a known carcinogen, formaldehyde, and other chemicals. This is done by accessing an artery and a corresponding vein, making slits in each, and inserting an instrument called a cannula into the artery, through which embalming fluid is pumped. The blood is forced out of the vein and flows down the porcelain embalming table into the drain. After this step, a large pointed suction tube called a trocar is stabbed into the abdomen to aspirate, or suck out the contents of each of the organs within. Now, you have to be careful and wear gloves in order to embalm, of course, because you can get hepatitis or worse, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. The latter is a prion disease similar to mad cow disease that can be transmitted through blood. The prions eat away at your brain, driving you to a state of severe dementia, crippling you to a shell of a person that can hardly function until you die. On a happier note, it always warms my heart to see young people with an interest in the industry. One day, those little deathlings will grow into the next great generation funeral directors. The one day of the year I don't welcome kids is Halloween. I know, I know, it probably seems like I'm a killjoy or a sour old woman. But Halloween seems to bring out the mischief in young folks. More than a couple times, I've had to threaten to call the police as teenagers tried to break into my mortuary. That seemed to make them quite angry, 
but they scattered once they heard, completely unrelated, sirens coming down the street. I'd never actually called. They were probably thinking it would be spooky to trespass in a funeral home on Halloween night, but I was thinking about the merchandise they might scratch up in the process and the damage they could do to the expensive cremation retort. Cremation is an interesting process. It's actually more than just burning a body and turning it to ash. When a body enters the retort after the door closes, a large column of flame is shot down onto the chest area. The torso takes the longest to burn because of all the organs and fat that are contained there. Once the organic material, flesh, fat, organs, anything carbon-based, has been eliminated by the retort's 1,700-degree fires, the remaining material in the machine consists of bone fragments. These are left to cool. Then they are removed and ground up by a large, blender-like machine called a cremulator. The dust and tiny bits of bone that come out of the cremulator is the ash that you, the loved ones, receive back. Last year, on a crisp autumn evening, I was preparing to close up early for Halloween. I was about to lock up and head to my car when I noticed a group of teenage boys circling in the parking lot, occasionally putting their faces up to the tinted windows to try and see inside. There were five of them. I rolled my eyes and was going to just try and walk past them, ignoring their taunts. But then the water balloon started. Just as I stepped through the door to leave, they started pointing and yelling. That's her. That's the witch who runs this place. Go! I felt a big wet splat as the first water balloon splashed straight into my face. My hair and the front of my jacket were soaked immediately. My eyes widened at the audacity of these children. Did nobody teach their kids to respect their elders anymore? Shock quickly turned to panic. Another water balloon exploded into the window to my right. Hurriedly, I fumbled for the building keys and slipped back inside. There was no way I was getting back to my car without getting absolutely drenched. I caught my breath once I was safe from my assailants and sighed, sauntering over to the bathroom and drying my face with our rough paper towels. My hair was still dripping, so I went back into the embalming room, also known as the prep room, to find a spare towel. I could still hear the kids yelling outside, and it was at this point that the water balloons were exchanged for rocks. Bang! 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 On the windows! They pelted rock after rock until they finally found one big enough to do some damage. I heard the glass begin to crack, and my poor old heart just couldn't take it anymore. I dialed the police. As most of you probably know, Halloween is a big night for crime, and cops are stationed throughout the city to keep kids safe. So when I called 911 and the police didn't answer, I wasn't totally surprised. No, what surprised me was that there was not even a dial tone. The funeral home's landline had been cut off. Part of being a senior is not being glued to a cell phone all the time, and I rarely brought mine to work. So I was out of options phone-wise. 
I heard raucous laughter coming through the new crack in my window as the next round of rocks hit. This time they crashed through the pane altogether. Startled, I jumped and looked around wildly. Where could I go? What was the safest place to hide? The refrigerator. It had a six-inch thick stainless steel door. But the door didn't lock. It also had four bodies. Suddenly, a light bulb went on in my head. As the crashing stopped, I quickly wheeled an empty gurney into the fridge, unzipped the body bag on top of it, and crawled in. I was able to fiddle the zipper back up so that only a little bit was open. That way I would have some airflow. The old bag carried the unmistakable scent of decomposing cadavers, despite having just been washed. It's the kind of smell that sticks to things. The fridge door had closed on its own, but I was still able to hear the footsteps of the five boys as they entered my place of business uninvited. Mrs. Calhoun, you should have let us in. I heard the sound of metal scraping against metal and imagined my beautiful show caskets being marred by insolent teenagers. Somewhere up front, a ceramic urn shattered on the floor. Then the footsteps grew closer and closer until they were just outside of the fridge. I clamped my mouth shut so as to not allow any whimpers to escape. I didn't know what these boys intended for me, and I was hardly in any shape to defend myself. I forced myself to pull it together, because I had to stop shaking if I was to be a believable corpse. I heard the whoosh of air that always accompanies the fridge door opening. I shut my eyes, praying that they wouldn't recognize me if I acted dead enough. Mrs. Calhoun. Mrs. Calhoun. Oh, shit. Guys, I found where they keep the bodies. This was followed by the slamming of the door and a chorus of no ways and where's. Eager footsteps shuffled up to the fridge door as the boy who seemed to be their leader reopened the door, whispers susurrating in the darkness of the embalming room behind him. The fridge light flicked on, and I squeezed my eyes shut tighter. Please, 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 just go away, I thought to myself. But in they came. I slowed my breathing as much as I possibly could, to try to create the illusion of a still chest that had long ago taken its last breath. The boys filed in. Once all five of them were in the refrigerator, the heavy metal door clicked shut behind them. Look at that one! God damn! That looks like it hurt! I guessed he'd found the suicide by handgun victim. I dare you to touch one. You touch it first. No way! I'll touch it. I recognized this deeper voice as the leader's. My breath caught as I heard the bag to my right being unzipped. The empathetic part of me began to rage due to the boy's disrespect for the dead. How would the decedent's families feel about kids poking and prodding their loved ones just for the fun of it? There. Done. You guys are such pussies. 
The gang chuckled nervously. I heard another bag unzip. The one furthest from me. The suicide victim that had come in last night. I'm gonna stick my finger in the bullet hole. No way! Fuck that, dude! Touch her brain! There was a moment of silence. The air electric with anticipation. I could hear the sickening squelch of a finger sinking into the deep bullet wound on the side of the decedent's skull. Gasps followed. The squelching sound came again as he began to pull his digits out. Ah, what is it? Nothing. Just nicked my finger on a skull fragment. Dude, that is so fucking metal. They laughed and poked a few more times. Then got bored rather quickly. All right, this is lamer than I thought. Hey, I bet they have one of those cremation machines here. Want to see what a real fire looks like? The others agreed eagerly and were about to file out of the fridge when I heard another zipper. And another. That was four zippers total. And there were four bodies in my fridge, excluding mine. What was that? I dared to open my eyes just the tiniest bit and tried to move them without moving my head or neck. The boys were still standing in the fridge and the door they had opened to leave slammed back shut. A few of them jumped. Then the chaos began. I saw blurs to my right moving towards the boys more quickly than I'd seen anything move in my life. Screams erupted from the group as they pushed open the door to frantically scurry out. When I heard the door shut again, I cautiously began to unzip myself. As I got out, I looked over at the other body bags. That was it. Just body bags. Empty. A chill ran down my spine. But I figured the boys were distracted for the moment and it was time to make my great escape. Tentatively, I swung my legs over the edge, listening to the blood-curdling screams on the other side of the door, unsure of what awaited me out there. In spite of my fears, I gathered myself and pushed open the door, peering around the corner. The screaming sounded like it was coming from everywhere at once, and my brain told me to run, but I didn't run. Curiosity got the better of me. I followed a scream into the crematory, arriving just in time to see the thick mechanical door closing with a person inside. (gasps) I gasped and was about to lunge for the control panel when I saw it. Standing there, swollen fingers hovering over the on-off switch, was a living corpse. Notice that I didn't say zombie. Zombies were mindless, brain-eating idiots. This was something else entirely. The cadaver may have had clouded over eyes and pieces of skin falling off, But it was no idiot. This corpse knew exactly what it was doing. It switched on the machine. The shrieks inside became louder and more frantic until I heard the rush of flame come down from the roof of the machine. 
Then the screams began to sound like someone trying to gargle molasses. Thick, hacking coughs followed, until finally the only sound left was the flame. Another cadaver shuffled in, dragging a hollering teenager behind it. This boy carried a firearm, which was promptly kicked away by the corpse dragging him. I scurried over to it and snatched it up, while the second corpse dragged his victim toward the cremulator. Flicking the machine on, the corpse jerked back the boy's head so that its fingers could peel back his eyelids. It wanted him to watch. The heavy-duty blades began to spin faster and faster, sharp and ready to crush bone. No. But the corpse pushed his head closer into the bladed bucket until his screaming was silenced by a moist thwack, followed by the sound of a crunching skull. Hand over my mouth and a firearm in the other. I snuck out the crematory and into the prep room. What greeted me was worse than what I had just seen. One of the younger boys, rock still in hand from when they were barraging my windows, laid on the embalming table closest to me, trying to bash a corpse's head in with his weapon. His efforts were futile, and the deceased easily overpowered him. Even with just one arm, the other arm was reaching for the trocar. Once the hollow, elongated needle was attached to a suction hose, the corpse went to work. I watched the boy's skin dimple as it stabbed the instrument into his abdomen just above the belly button. The boy let out a haunting screech of pain. I watched as the tube sucked out the contents of his stomach. The corpse pulled the instrument halfway out before giving it another hefty shove, this time aiming for his chest cavity. I saw the contents of his lungs as they were punctured and whisked away by the machine. Lastly, it punctured his heart. The machine made a sickening, gurgling sound as it sucked the blood from his heart. He was dead. But the boy on the other embalming table wasn't. Not yet. The fourth corpse, my gunshot suicide victim, held him in place as it picked up a scalpel from a nearby drawer. The boy's eyes flitted fearfully back and forth, but all he could manage was a pitiful whimper. The corpse approached his neck with the scalpel and applied pressure to his skin. Blood began to trickle down his neck as he yelped. The corpse then jabbed its fingers deep into the incision, searching for the carotid artery. Once the artery had been raised and the vein had been separated, it made precise little slices in both the artery and the vein. Blood began to spurt freely from the boy's neck, spilling onto the porcelain table and swirling down the drain. For the first time, a corpse acknowledged me. It turned, still holding the boy down, and its eyes met mine. I had expected to feel fear, but instead, I felt numb. Then, 
It gestured to the empty embalming machine. I realized he was asking for chemicals. As if hypnotized, I pulled formalin and a couple other secret ingredients from the cabinet, while the corpse filled the machine's tank halfway with water. Then I handed the supplies to it. Its fingers brushed mine, and they were cold. So cold. Refrigerated skin. I shuddered backing slowly away as the corpse inserted the cannula into the dying boy's artery to fill his veins with harsh carcinogens. Even from across the room, I could feel my eyes burning from the formaldehyde. Finally, I made it to the front of the building. The carpet was littered with broken glass and rocks, and the sides of my caskets had been keyed. Several urns lay shattered on the floor. Tears began to roll down my face. They had destroyed everything. (laughs) Standing guard before the front door was the boy's leader. I could recognize his voice when he began to laugh sinisterly, (laughs) though I could see tears staining his cheeks. You think you and your zombie army can kill my friends and get away with it? I felt my grip tighten around the gun. Even though I had never used one before, and probably didn't know how to if I needed to, he advanced on me, bashing the bat threateningly into the side of an 18-gauge stainless steel casket. I jumped at the sound, backing up ever so slightly. I had to do something. I had to make up my mind. I wasn't going to die in my own funeral home. Slowly, hands shaking, I raised the gun, aiming just above his head. The boy froze and his eyes widened. You wouldn't. Wouldn't I? The leader took a menacing step forward, and I somehow managed to fire off a shot into the carpet in front of his feet. A puddle made itself apparent at the base of the boy's jeans. He hesitated for a moment, considering his options. Then he turned and fled, leaving his baseball bat behind. I sighed heavily and let the gun drop at my feet, wiping the fear sweat from my brow, and wondering if they would have used the gun on me had they had the chance. I turned back toward the prep room and crematory, which were both now suspiciously quiet, Slowly, I crept into the back, half wondering if this had all just been a fever dream. There was blood everywhere. But curiously, there were no bodies. Well, except for the perfectly still four bodies that I found zipped up in the freezer. It was as if they had never moved at all. I shook my head accepting that there were some things about death that even a funeral director can't possibly understand. I grabbed my cleaning spray from the prep room and went to work. The police called it a break-in, and the four boys that died in my mortuary were listed as missing. There was no knowledge of their whereabouts prior to their disappearances. They wouldn't ever be found. The leader of the group whose name I eventually learned was James Cook Jr. from the obituary, seemed to have suffered the worst fate out of any of them. 
Less than a year after the incident, James's body was released from the medical examiner's office, with the cause of death listed as Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. The prions took over his fragile mind and consumed his personality until he was nothing but a living ghost. Then, after months of torture, he finally expired. I'm even older now, even if it's just by a year. But by God, I've never felt so youthful and alive. The business is thriving, and I won't be needing to call the cops on Halloween anymore. I couldn't ask for a better life, and now I no longer fear death. So for all you young folks out there, be good to your local businesses on Halloween. And remember, if you decide to mess with a funeral director, you might be making a grave mistake. I still don't... Yes, I'll hold. You'd better... Hack and slash and carve and slice. One for sorrow, sadness twice. Strange. It's almost like... Hello? Spill the inside, spill them out. Turn it up and round about. Data locked. Twice carved, dust in chisholm. Graham Rowett, Jessica McAvoy, Jeff Clement, Brandon Boone. When I was 13, Halloween was a distant memory. At least the significance was. You're too old to trick or treat and still have a few years away from raucous Halloween parties. But just like that, my 13th Samhain made that day the most important one of the year. And it was all thanks to Linda Malone. Kids develop crushes on other kids for often vague reasons. But at 13, they were more concrete. We were in the throes of puberty, and we truly noticed each other's looks for the first time. But for some reason, Linda fell beneath the radar of all the boys in our small town, not even with her blonde curls and creamy skin, and we didn't need endless creativity to imagine the beautiful woman she would become. But all of the other boys only spoke of how quiet she was, and her intense stare when she would deign to regard any of her classmates. Was I the one who was blind? or the only one who could see? Scratch that. Dumb question. There was at least one other guy who noticed, and that's where the story began. I was walking home from school, minding my own business, when the kids in front of me turned off onto their street, revealing that Linda had been walking half a block ahead of me. There was no mistaking those curls. I was content to watch her from a distance and the memory of a lousy day at school started to fade away. The rumble of the old charger ruined that perfect moment, 
where there were gazelles and there were lions waiting to pounce. Sure enough, it was Todd Sandusky. He was a senior in high school, or rather, senior age. I never cared enough to recall how many times he'd been held back. But as he grew older and meaner, his taste in girls had notoriously never aged with him. He pulled up alongside Linda, and the way she froze and turned to meet him made my heart drop. I could already imagine the look on his face as he spoke to her, the way the spit glistened on his yellow teeth. I hurried my pace, not knowing what I could do, but knowing that I couldn't just stand by and let whatever happened happen. I finally got close enough to catch what Todd was saying. I can tell that you're Cassie's sister halfway down the block. He almost sounded friendly, but even knowing Linda and her sister had the same curls, I knew that wasn't what he was talking about. My dad would hate to hear that. It seemed like a warning. At that moment, I caught up with her and looked inside the Dodge. Greasy Todd seemed to take it the same way, and he tensed at that. Tinted sunglasses were still in back then, and they didn't hide his annoyance. We don't look like him. I think he always wanted a boy he could see himself in. Looking back on it now, it was obvious how mature and poised Linda was for her age. Mentioning her dad was an obvious warning, and walking it back would let the warning stand without escalating the situation. But Todd was too dumb or arrogant to be intimidated. So, you're saying your mom looks like you, and your dad could only manage two kids? He shook his head in exaggerated sadness. Not much of a man, if you ask me. You ever ridden in a car that rumbles like this? No, and I don't think I will today. I'm really enjoying the walk, thanks. Hey, girl, this here sidewalk's gonna be here tomorrow. But I might not be. I got my guitar, and I'm looking for one ads for any bands in L.A. that need a new strummer. I'm pulling up stakes at the first nibble, and you might wish you'd have taken that ride further down the road. And I couldn't hold back anymore. So go to Hollywood and play your shitty guitar and leave her alone. Two pairs of eyes snapped in my direction, and the rage on Todd's face didn't scare me nearly as much as the uncharacteristic alarm on Linda's. Say you're sorry, little man. Angering him was a mistake. He might take it out on both of us. I needed to take his attention off Linda, so I leaned into the open passenger side window. Nice knowing you, world. I'm sorry. That you suck at the guitar and you're going to die broke in a gutter? That did it. It was almost merciful that he grabbed me by the hair and pulled me in. The seconds it would have taken for him to storm out of and around his car to get me would have felt like an eternity. He slammed my head onto the dashboard repeatedly. The world exploded in a cosmic rebirth. Galaxies sprung into being and faded back into the void. Stop it! Stop it! I heard Linda screaming for Todd to stop and felt my hands uselessly gripping his and finding his ring. Finally, I felt a shove before I tumbled onto the ground. The squealing tires were already fading when I staggered to my feet. I was clenching my right fist, forgetting for the moment why, but knowing I had to. I finally allowed myself to look at the girl I would not admit was my crush. 
I didn't expect Linda to be grateful, but I was surprised at the look of disapproval on her face as I tried to find the nearest house through the pain and my swimming vision. Linda was supporting me as I staggered down the sidewalk before I knew she was even there. An older woman let us in her house and called an ambulance, but I was still a little hazy. My mom doted on me when I was little, and that came back when she picked me up. At the time, I thought she bought my line about being jumped from behind and never seeing who did it. Now I know she just didn't want to press me. I only realized later Linda had slipped away during the chaos. No concussions, but my left eye was swollen shut and my face was a topographical map of purple and red. The first day back, I think I got the occasional sympathetic look from Linda, but I didn't see her after that. So that was my October. I almost didn't register the encroaching orange and black decorations, and not because of my closed eye. Halloween came two weeks later, and our house left the lights off that year. The unpleasant trilling of the phone was the first grating sound to cut through the night. The two lumps on the matching easy chairs that were my parents called for me to get it. My pulse quickened when I heard the voice on the other end of the line. Hey, David? You're not doing anything right now, are you? If anyone else had said that, I would have been offended at the unspoken assumption that I wasn't doing anything, even if they were right. No. Come over to my house. I have something I want to show you. My bruises had started to fade, and that had lulled Mom back into her usual pleased apathy, so my parents didn't object when I told them I was going over to a friend's house. I dodged the myriad small creatures trundling through the town. Kids were bad enough with spatial awareness, let alone while wearing masks. A trio of tall figures dressed in black hooded robes regarded me from a park as I passed, all watching me and not even bothering to hide it. A huge, shaggy black dog passed me on the sidewalk a few minutes later. It seemed so focused on where it was going that I wasn't afraid of it, until it passed me, and I looked back to see it glancing over its shoulder at me. This is the night when things are possible that aren't every other day of the year. I shuddered at this thought and put it out of my mind as the houses I passed grew progressively nicer. Linda's house was a huge Tudor, probably built in the 30s. The porch light was off, but I'd barely reached the top step before the door flew open. There was Linda, ushering me inside. Quietly. The inside was warm and inviting, all earth tones and soft yellow lighting. But I was immediately struck by what I heard when I stepped in. Muffled sobs coming from a distant corner of the house. My parents won't mind company, but you don't want to see them now. Kitchen. I had a moment to notice the largest personal library I'd ever seen in my young life before Linda nudged me to keep going. As soon as I stepped into the kitchen, I knew why I was there. The kitchen was lavish, spotless, and sprawling, but the single jack-o'-lantern on the table was the obvious centerpiece. Oh, neat! The jack-o'-lantern wasn't carved with the exaggerated, pulpy grins you usually expected, nor the round or triangular eyes or noses. It was two small, oval-shaped eyes, two small nostrils, and a curved slit of a mouth. 
It was as realistic a face as one could hope to achieve on a pumpkin. I leaned in to examine it as Linda opened a drawer, leaning forward to rifle through it. Oh, cool. You've even got the little curve in the lips under the nose. What do you call it? The Cupid's bow. I could swear the blonde curls tumbling over her face hid a knowing smile, despite the uneasy air that gripped the house. In a movie, the odd girl would pull the knife out with a flourish, holding it in a way that only made sense if she was needlessly trying to scare the audience. But here, I had barely noticed her wrapping her delicate fingers around the handle and crossing the kitchen before she went to work. With the flick of a wrist, she stabbed into the right corner of the mouth and was met with little resistance as she effortlessly cut across the dull orange face. The Malones obviously sharpened their knives after every use, and probably more than that just for the hell of it. She talked as she cut. I was impressed. You were so brave. But I hope he knocked some sense into you and you won't do that again. I had to admit to myself then that I had secretly craved some sort of validation from her, even if my intention to help had been sincere. I blushed furiously and sputtered out my excuse. I, I just realized that when I made him mad, he might take it out on both of us. With another flick, she widened the pumpkin smile before turning to regard me. I know. That first moment you opened your mouth was the moment you fucked up. Not the second one. I didn't flinch when she repeatedly pointed the knife at me to emphasize her words. I couldn't just stand by and do nothing. Linda smiled and went back to work. She cut along the face, across, down, across, then up again, carving one of those standard blocky jack-o'-lantern teeth. Effortlessly, she balanced the first gourd piece on the knife and tossed it into the trash. She cut away some more and gently placed the next piece on the counter. I would have been fine. Remember that for the future, okay? What, are we friends now? I managed to make myself sound annoyed rather than excited. No, we're going to get married. In the meantime, I'm going to keep you out of trouble. Well, I guess I could use more friends. Friends? Either you don't listen or you don't believe me. She cut some more, widening that normal mouth into a huge, toothy maw. She looked up at me, seeing the puzzled, slightly alarmed look on my face, and smiled. It was the most normal smile I'd ever seen from her, and it was dazzling. Just kidding. Triangles or circles? Uh, sorry? Triangles or circles for the eyes and the nose? Oh, I was at the point where every perceived misstep embarrassed me deeply, so I just soldiered on, thinking a feigned casual shrug could fool her. Why not both? I knew inviting you over was a good idea. She resumed mutilating that realistic face. In seconds, the two small nostrils were gone, giving way to a huge triangle. The small eyes were widened into a gaping pair, one round, the other triangular. It was a standard jack-o'-lantern, but she had wielded that knife like a professional butcher. Linda beamed. Well, we're done. I have your mask over there. Put it on. We're heading out. She pointed to two rubber lumps on the breakfast nook table. I was more impressed that the Malones actually had a nook than with the masks. We're too old to go trick-or-treating. 
I reached for a mask anyway. It was a standard werewolf mask that only left the mouth uncovered. Linda's was an equally generic green witch, pointed nose and all. Her mouth was uncovered as well, but given that she was dressed in her usual drab blouse and slacks, she probably wasn't going to make the effort to paint her chin too much. <laughs> Not door-to-door all over town trick-or-treating. Just one stop. And we're making a delivery, not begging for candy. Did someone say it wouldn't be Halloween without a special pumpkin? The knowing smile Linda gave was almost as wide as her creations. Oh, he begged for this jack-o'-lantern, believe me. We set out after that. Linda explained she had told her parents she was going to a friend's house, and that she had said, friend, sarcastically. It wasn't her fault if her parents didn't pick up on that, and it didn't make her a liar if they couldn't catch sarcasm. We walked in silence for a while, before I finally realized this was the situation I'd been fantasizing about. And here I was, tongue-tied like the idiot I was. We managed to make some small talk, and it was comfortable enough before I asked where she'd been all week. That was when I finally learned the truth behind what we were doing. Todd Sandusky almost got him alone that day, remember? Turns out he wasn't picky, and he ran into my sister Cassie last week. She was quiet for a few seconds before continuing. Today, his girlfriend gave him an alibi, and we can't press charges... Cassie didn't take the news very well. You heard her. I remembered the crying I had heard when I first set foot in her house. Wait. He... He... He has a district attorney for a father. A well-connected one. Might have been better if he'd gone all the way. At least there'd be some DNA evidence. The stoic, deadpan demeanor that I thought was inextricable from Linda Malone fell away. And as we passed under a streetlight, I could see her glistening eyes squeezing shut inside the mask. I tried to hug her, not knowing what else to do. She allowed the embrace for a moment, but gently pushed me away after that. Sorry, I can't lose my nerve. We've got to keep going. (laughs) She sniffled once before the figurative mask finally returned under the literal one. I was grateful for the mask, because my mind was reeling, and my poker face sucked. A few minutes ago, she'd been laughing and joking, but she was hiding this horrible secret the whole time. What other secrets was this strange, beautiful girl hiding? I put that out of my mind to ask the obvious question. We're going to Todd's house, aren't we? She was still for a long time, and the only thing the witch mask let through was a simple nod. And a question. You up for a little revenge? I was, and said so. Good. Now, promise you'll have my back. Promise. Linda nodded slowly, before smiling. Good. Let's go. The Sandusky house was huge, but was rendered a black, featureless monolith with all of the lights turned off. Since Todd was 18, I kind of hoped his parents had already kicked him out for being such a loser, but it looked like they were still giving him free room and board, judging from his charger in the driveway. 
Okay, I have two things. Linda produced a small candle and a nail out of her purse and handed me these and the jack-o'-lantern before marching on. She crept across the lawn, telling me to wait on the sidewalk. She pulled out a pocket flashlight and was searching the grass in front of the porch lattice. I looked at the candle. It was seven-sided, and strange black runes were painted onto the side of the dull white wax. I gave Linda another moment, but when her movements grew more and more frantic, I walked up and joined her out of concern. Huck, I've watched him. He smokes out front and tosses his butts everywhere, but I can't find any. We need something of his. God, why did they have to clean up tonight of all nights? The frantic edge to her voice concerned me, but I didn't question her intentions. Instead, I dropped to my knees and joined her in the search. We need to put something of his in the jack-o'-lantern. And then I'm going to push the nail through it and into the dirt and light the candle. That was my whole plan, and it should have... And here, the front door flew open, and the porch light snapped on. I told you little shits who aren't giving out no candy. Even as completely covered as I was, I still felt exposed in my mask. We both slowly stood up, meeting his hateful glare without a word. He crossed the huge porch to the steps. What, are you deaf or just a couple of retards? Need to read my lips? I'll make it easy for you. He descended the yellow and blue porch, punctuating every step with a word. Get the fuck out. Thank God for the masks. They were the only thing that kept me from running, which I instinctively knew would wrench defeat from the jaws of victory. He looked at both of us, up and down, Linda in a way that all the girls knew. And after a moment... He arched an eyebrow. Linda Malone. I felt the gorge rising in my throat the instant I realized that he recognized her even with the mask. He seemed to know everything below the neck very well. He wouldn't have ever been held back if he studied for his classes the way he seemed to have studied Linda. Hi, Todd. The resignation in her voice was chilling. He turned to look at me. A spark of recognition flickering in his dull eyes. Wait, you must be that little shit from last week, right? (laughs) Listen, bud, if you need to know how a real man handles a lady, well, that's gonna be 50 bucks to watch. If you need another lesson, like I already gave you, well, those are always free. He cracked his knuckles to emphasize his point. We're going to go now. We didn't know you lived here. Sorry to bother you. She started to back away, her heels clacking on the sidewalk. He almost looked hurt before his arm shot out to grab her wrist. Come on, where are you going? Your sister tell you about me and you had to see things for yourself? I tensed and started to march forward, but he stopped me with an amused look. (laughs) Hey, buddy, you don't look like you sprung up a foot and put on a hundred pounds in the last week. You think you have too many teeth or something? He jerked Linda away, starting to drag her into the house. Linda was stoic. Linda was brave. Linda was reserved. But now she was on the verge of panic, like just about any other girl. 
Then I remembered. The shitty stone from his class ring that I'd held in a death grip that day. I'd slid it into my wallet, happy to have some small proof of petty revenge on my part. I dropped it inside the jack-o'-lantern and placed the gourd on the lawn. I quickly produced the nail and drove it through the bottom. Instantly, a scream split the night, and Linda was already barreling towards me when I looked up. She'd broken free of Todd, who was distracted by the geyser of blood gushing from his foot. A foot he could not budge one inch from the porch, no matter how hard he tried. This isn't going to be pretty. Are you sure you want to see this? An impossible image came to mind before I nodded. This is for Cassie, you dirtball piece of shit! She had already lit the candle with a cheap Bic lighter and placed it inside the jack-o'-lantern. Instantly, a blue flame roared from inside. Linda didn't flinch, even though it should have scorched her. No sooner had the flame returned to normal when a screech stabbed my fragile eardrums. I turned to see a slit race across Todd's face from the corner of his mouth, trickles of blood giving way to floods. The agonized, gargling scream only grew worse as the other side of his mouth opened all the way to his wisdom teeth. I could hear the patter of all the blood splashing onto the grass on the sidewalk. The lines went across, down, across, then up again, as his skin fell away in crimson scraps on the cold October earth. Some red teeth glistened through the gaps, the square flaps of his skin that were his new teeth concealing the rest. A red triangle appeared around his nose, a stream turning into a gush before skin, muscle, and cartilage fell away. His whole face was drenched in crimson, and his screaming had never stopped, despite the torrents of blood flooding into his mouth, turning them into ear-splitting gurgles. Todd swayed and thrashed like one of those inflatable waving arm dummies, but couldn't even fall with his foot stuck the way it was. And then the bleeding lines began to trace around his eyes. I'd been frozen in disbelieving horror this whole time, but I finally noticed the porch lights snapping on all up and down the block and the neighbors stepping out to look. Linda was still transfixed, but snapped out of it when I nudged her and pointed at all the onlookers. Okay, you get the idea. Let's get out of here. After she took a second to pull out the nail and grab the pumpkin, we were bolting. I vaguely registered Todd, still screaming, finally collapsing before we left that house in our dust. I was faster, but I held Linda's wrist like a vice grip, not letting go until the approaching sirens faded into the distance. You're a hell of an artist, Linda. As we ran, I took time to register that I'd only been mildly repulsed by the ghastly display. We took a moment to catch our breath as we hid in the same park I'd seen the hooded figures in, before I managed the big question. Oh my god! What are we gonna say? Linda needed a moment before she shook her head. She ripped off her mask before answering. What are we going to say? David. A big dude with a ton of drugs in his system isn't going to be overpowered by two skinny middle schoolers. They're going to be wondering why he did that to himself. But there were people looking and they saw us! Yeah, 
at two horrified trick-or-treaters who stopped and watched a druggie mutilate himself and then ran off to puke in the bushes. We'll be fine. I wanted to believe her. I normally would believe anything she said. I finally ripped my mask off and stared at my feet. I noticed you're more worried about getting in trouble than what we actually did. So, what are you going to do? I... Well, he's a piece of shit. Or was. I... I don't know what to think. But I can keep a secret. I don't think anyone will believe me anyway. So... What do you think of me now? Are you scared of me? I should have been. The same way I should have been shocked and horrified by what she had done. I don't plan on doing anything like Todd would do to anybody, ever. I'm not afraid of you. She rolled her eyes, but looked nervous all the same. But do you... hate me? I think it was how stunned I looked that she would ask this that forever entwined our fates together. I knew I made the right choice. She never seemed more like a teenage girl than in that moment, when she leaned in to kiss me awkwardly on the lips. My parents might be starting to miss me. Will you walk me home? I did. Then we walked hand in hand, comfortable in the silence. From that moment on, we were barely apart. We walked through middle school and then high school, always hand in hand. Linda taught me more about the world she had dabbled in that night, secrets that were only hinted at in the Malone's expansive library. We got married overlooking a waterfall in Colorado called the Devil's Cauldron on Halloween, just out of college. All the while, Linda's powers had grown, and she helped me discover some of my own. Halloween was always our day after that. Perhaps someday, the Halloween yet to come will be that for you. Yes, I'm still holding. No, it hasn't... A burning smell. Sulfur. Once above, so below, ashen skies river flow. Charon calling to the sticks, blood for blood and life betwixt. Yes, I'll hold again. Can I speak to... It's making even weirder sounds. Water douses, fire burns, air will flow as earth doth churn. Data locked. Mother Mary's scary Halloween fairy, Joshua A. Beer. Nicole Goodnight, Tonya Malievich, Mary Murphy, Nicole Doolin, P.M.S.F.X. Brandon Boone! One Halloween, something happened to me. 
I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember it like yesterday, and yet so many details are still so hazy. But there's one thing I know for sure. It all started with an invitation. I was coming home from... somewhere. That's one of those details that are still a little bit hazy. I suppose it doesn't really matter all that much. When I got home, I found a red envelope sticking out of our mailbox. It was unusual to have mail sticking out of our mailbox at that time of day. Usually, my dad collected it after lunch since he works from home. I walked up the steps to our porch and saw the red envelope sticking out. Thinking it was just another flyer for somebody's startup landscaping business or an ad for a local restaurant, I reached out and snatched it up. I went inside and walked over to the trash can, ready to discard it, when I saw that it was an actual envelope with something inside. The outside of the envelope was plain. It didn't have a return address, nor did it have a stamp or my address. The only thing written on it was my name, Holly, in thick black letters in some fancy calligraphy. I tore open the envelope and pulled out a stiff piece of paper. Flipping it over, I read the very plain-looking invitation. Mother Mary's Scary Halloween Fairy. Prepare for a Halloween fairy ride into hell. You and a friend are invited to join us Halloween night at 11.11 p.m. Come in costume. Present invitation on arrival. At the bottom of the invitation, there were directions on where to go in order to catch the ferry. That was it. No indication of who put it in my mailbox, no indication of why it was given to me. I suppose that should have been the first alarm for me. But I was a dumb college kid back then. Anyway, I was ecstatic. I was a huge fan of horror, and I had been to just about every haunted hayride, haunted house, or haunted corn maze within three states. I'd never heard of Mother Mary's Scary Halloween Fairy, but I ran straight up to my room, opened up the laptop, and got on the internet. After hours of browsing the internet, searching all sorts of forums and websites, I couldn't come up with a single story, clip, or tweet about Mother Mary or her scary Halloween fairy. I wasn't dissuaded. New Halloween attractions were regularly popping up all over the place. They were like breweries. Every town had one, and new ones were always coming out of the woodwork. I took another look at the invitation, trying to see if there were any clues that gave any indication that this was legitimate. I couldn't find anything other than what was written in black ink on the front of the paper. I even held it up to a light, then turned all the lights off, plunging my room into total darkness, thinking that maybe there was a secret message written in it. There wasn't. I had all the details right there in front of me, and I suppose that should have been the second alarm. The invitation said that it was for two, so I instantly called my best friend Emily to see if she wanted to go with me. Her being such a freak for all things horror like myself, I knew that she couldn't say no. I'd barely even managed to give her all the details before she was saying yes. We knew that our friend Jason was having a Halloween party at his house like he always did, but we figured we could always go there after the ferry ride. Jason's parties always went into the early hours of the morning, so we were certain we'd be able to get there after, or we could just ditch the ferry ride if it looked boring. So, Emily and I agreed to meet up at my house a little beforehand and drive over together. It was Halloween night. My doorbell was ringing. Emily was there. She was dressed as a pirate, and I had dressed as Rey from Star Wars. Originally, we'd thought about purchasing those awesome dinosaur costumes that people run around in, but once we'd made plans to go to the ferry, we thought something a little more practical would be better. The dock to the ferry was somewhere I wasn't familiar with. Emily and I talked as I drove down a long, deserted road that cut through a dark and dense forest. 
I remember parking my car in a small dirt parking lot with a couple other cars and Emily and I walked through a trail that wound through trees and brush. After a few minutes, Emily and I emerged from the forest and our eyes fell upon a frighteningly spectacular sight. Torches lit the path every few yards, leading to an old wooden dock. Just beyond the dock sat the ferry in a haze of smoke and fog. From our position, we could only see the outline of the ship. As we walked down the path, we saw two dark figures standing in the water on either side of the dock, each of them holding lanterns. As we drew closer, we could see that the figures were dressed in long, dark cloaks with hoods hiding their faces. Emily and I exchanged a look. This was already worth it due to the creepiness. Oh my god, this is insane. I know, and we haven't even gotten on the boat yet. We quickly made our way down the dock towards the boat. As we did, I stared at the figures in the water holding the lanterns. One of them turned their head to look at me and I found myself staring into an empty void where their face should have been. A chill ran down my spine as I saw only darkness staring back at me and I couldn't help but smile. This was really creepy. Whoever was in charge of this thing did a really good job. Approaching the ferry down the dock, I could make out the outlines of figures on the deck, who I assumed were other people that were invited to take the ferry ride. At the end of the dock, we reached the ferry and were approached by a giant woman with a slight bend to her back. The woman had long, thin gray hair that hung loosely over her pale face. Using a cane, she approached Emily and I and stretched out her withered and bony hand towards us. The woman tilted her head at me, revealing eyes that were white as snow. There was no pupil or anything. They were pure white. Holy crap, freaky. Are you Mother Mary? The woman didn't respond. She simply held her hand out again. Emily and I exchanged looks and Emily shrugged. Maybe she wants the invitation? I nodded and dug into my pocket. I took out the piece of paper, unfolded it, and placed it into the woman's hand. This place is incredible. Is this the first year you've done it? The woman didn't respond. She simply moved out of the way and stretched her arm out as if she was beckoning for us to come on board. We stepped onto the ferry and I immediately felt the uneasiness of the ship on the water. I turned to ask the old woman something else, but I watched as she turned her back and hobbled off down the deck. I turned back to Emily and shrugged. I guess Mother Mary is dedicated to her act. (laughs) We walked onto the deck and headed towards the front of the boat where a number of other figures were busy milling about. The water lapped gently against the side of the ferry and the boards on the deck creaked with each step that we took. As we approached the group of people at the head of the ferry, we saw maybe a dozen and a half guests, each dressed as zombies, vampires, ghouls, or other popular Halloween characters. Emily and I walked up to a group that seemed to be talking to each other, but as we approached, I noticed that they were just standing there. Thick fog surrounded us. The only sound was the bay water against the hull of the ferry. I shot my friend a look, silently asking what the deal was with these other people. Emily shrugged and walked up to a man dressed in a black suit and a black fedora, who I assumed was supposed to be dressed as some gangster from the Prohibition era. Hey, how's it going? This is the first time you've been on this ride? Did you know anything about it before you came? My friend Holly and I tried to Google it, but we couldn't come up with anything. The man turned to look at Emily and I, and I gasped as I found myself staring into his pure black eyes. Just like Mother Mary's, except inverted. You couldn't see anything other than darkness. Whoa, trippy. Do they hand those out somewhere on board? You're the second person I've seen with those cool eye contacts. 
The man didn't say anything. He just stared at her. As I looked around the deck, I noticed that everyone else was staring at us as well. I took a step closer to Emily and grabbed a hold of her arm. Emily, look. Emily looked past me at the people, and the two of us watched as more of the people turned around to look at us. I stood there wondering if it was just a part of the experience or if these people were actually this creepy. I looked past the gangster to a woman in a white dress covered in blood. Her eyes were as black as the man's. I drifted past the bloodied woman to a couple dressed as nuns with white face paint. Their eyes were black as well. This is freaky. What the hell do you think is going on? I don't know. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen this sort of thing before, though, right? Remember that haunted house we went to last year? Those people had white and and black eyes. Yeah. Yeah, they did. I could tell that she was a little bit nervous, like myself, so I took her hand and squeezed it. She looked at me and I gave her a comforting smile, and she smiled back in return. You want to check out the rest of the ship? She nodded, and the two of us walked away from the group of people towards the back of the ferry. There were other people there as well, but they were as silent and black-eyed as the people up front. The ferry lurched from its place and began to move away from the dock. We stood, leaning against the railing, looking back at the bank, at the passing trees. You think we made a mistake by coming here? The wind blew Emily's hair beneath her pirate hat. I don't know. So far, it seems to be legit. Emily pulled out a cigarette, lit it, and inhaled. Yeah, but I wonder what they meant by ride from hell. Hopefully it isn't just a ride along the coast, because that'll get boring real quick. I stared off across the coastline, watching as the dock disappeared from view behind the clouds of thick fog. Think we're going somewhere? The details weren't exactly specific. Maybe there's someplace up ahead that we'll stop at, like a a haunted house or village or something. Emily took another drag before offering the cigarette to me. Let's hope so. I took the cigarette and took a few puffs before handing it back to her. Hey, maybe we can find somebody to ask? Emily shrugged and flicked the cigarette butt into the waters. I watched as it was swallowed beneath the hull of the moving ferry. Think you can tell the difference between a worker and one of these weirdos? I watched as a man dressed as Sweeney Todd passed by, staring at us with his black eyes. Emily smirked and gave him a little wave, but as soon as he'd gone, her wave turned into the finger. Emily. What? He's a creep, just like the rest of them. Come on, let's go try and find someone that works here. As I started off, I felt Emily grab my hand. I turned back, startled, to ask her what she was doing, but I realized that she wasn't even looking at me. What? What's wrong? Emily was staring off into the distance of the open water. What do you think that is? I walked back and leaned over the railing, looking across the dark waters. Somewhere out in the fog, I saw a bright red and orange glow. It was small, like an orb, but it was clearly far away. From the looks of it, the ferry was headed straight towards it. What is that? I don't know, but let's find someone who does. I started off down the deck with Emily close behind me. We weaved in and out of the other costume guests as we made our way towards a set of stairs leading to the second deck of the ship. As we climbed the stairs, I looked out across the water and saw that the yellow and orange lights had grown larger. I was now certain that this was our destination. Whatever it was. I reached the top of the deck and saw the captain's wheel room just up ahead and started off towards it. Where are we going? In there? Whoever's sailing the ship will be in there. Maybe they can help us. 
I walked across the deck and over to the wheel room. Hello? Captain, can I come in? I, I just need to ask a quick question. I took a step back from the door, fully expecting some man dressed in a white uniform and hat to step out and greet us. No response. I knocked loudly again and once again asked if I could enter. Still, no response. Just open it, the dude must be deaf. I carefully reached out and gripped the handle. Turning it, the old door creaked loudly and I cringed, looking back at Emily. Emily shrugged, grabbed a hold of the door and swung it open. I took a step backwards, shocked at the sight of the empty room. The wheel stood in the middle of the room, turning ever so slightly with each wave the riverboat passed over. There was no one there. There was no one controlling the ship. Emily stepped into the room and looked around. She walked over to the wheel and wiped her finger across it. When she drew back her hand, I could see a thick layer of dust on it. Emily wiped the dust off her finger onto her pirate pants. It doesn't look like anyone's been in this room for a while. I stared at the captain's wheel as it moved back and forth. And how is this boat being steered? I doubt this thing even still works. It's got an engine, so maybe it's being guided from below deck? That'd be my guess. So, should we try getting below deck? Nah, let's just try and find someone above deck that we can talk to. There's gotta be someone. As we walked back out onto the deck, I spotted a shadowy figure standing at the end, watching us. A chill ran down my spine as I realized that it was Mother Mary. It's her. Hey, listen. Uh, Mother Mary? My friend and I need to ask you some questions. Emily stomped over to the woman like an angry child and I followed closely behind. The old woman turned her head towards Emily and her white eyes shone in the moonlight. Emily walked up and began speaking. Okay, first off, what even is this thing? My friend just got the invitation to her mailbox. How did you know that this was something that she'd be interested in? Did you leave it in everyone's mailbox and we were just the only two dumb enough to come? Are these other people even guests? Why won't anyone talk? The old woman didn't say anything. She just stared at Emily with her cold, dead, white eyes. Did you hear me, old lady? What is this? Where are we going? Again, the old woman didn't say anything. She just stared. Emily continued to yell at Mother Mary, but her voice seemed to fade away. It was at this point where I noticed something beyond the old woman, past her and and out in the distance. It was that strange yellow and orange glow that I'd seen earlier. Now it had grown brighter and larger, stretching across the entire horizon through the thick fog. I stared at the lights in the distance, and a feeling of sickness grew in the pit of my stomach. Where are you taking us? I turned my attention back to Emily and the old woman. Mother Mary, where are we going? The old woman's head turned to look at me, and her white eyes locked with mine. Mother Mary lifted up her thin, bony hand and stretched out her skeletal finger, pointing towards the lights in the distance. Emily turned and looked, squinting. What is that? Where is that? Mother Mary lowered her hand and folded them in front of her. She turned back to me, focusing her eyes on me. I stared at the old woman's face, seeing the thousands of wrinkles in her pale skin and wondering if it was just good makeup or if she really was this old. Where? Again, she pointed off into the distance at the red and orange horizon. She looked at Emily and then turned back to me. Oh. I took a step back from Mother Mary, stunned by her response. Suddenly, it was as if the fog and smoke opened up and dissipated at the sound of her voice, and I could see everything so clearly. There in the distance, growing closer and closer, was a burning coast. Fire and flames licked at the skyline. 
I could feel the heat of the flames on my skin growing more and more intense. I could hear the howling screams of the tortured souls above the roaring, crackling fire. I watched as dark figures in the flames leaped and crawled and pleaded for escape from their eternal torment. I watched as black smoke loomed from the burning coastline blocking out the glow of the moon. Oh my god. My eyes broke away from the inferno and I grabbed Emily by the arm. She looked at me and in her eyes I saw absolute terror. We need to go. I tugged on Emily's arm, pulling her away from Mother Mary, and the two of us raced across the deck heading for the stairs. With Emily in tow, I took the stairs two at a time. I was almost at the bottom when I froze. There, standing in front of us, were the people in costumes. I stared back at their black eyes as they stared back at us. I felt Emily's hot breath on my neck. She gave my hand a little squeeze. What do we do? My eyes scanned the deck, looking for an opening. The costume guests started making their way towards the stairs, towards us. I saw an opening to the left of the staircase, so I quickly scrambled over the railing and landed on the deck, feeling the pain rush up my legs as my weight hit the wooden floor. I reached up and grabbed Emily's hand, helping her over. When she was safely beside me, I took off down the deck towards the front of the ship. Emily followed close behind, but so did the black-eyed people. What are we doing? What are you looking for? My eyes scanned the deck of the ferry boat, darting back and forth every which way. I I I was looking for something... Anything that could help to aid our escape. Look for a lifeboat. A a lifeboat or something. Something that will get us out of here. I grabbed a hold of the railing, looking over the side into the dark, murky waters. My eyes scanned the side of the ship, hoping I'd find a lifeboat. There wasn't anything. The light from the fires of hell caught my eyes, and I looked out to see the burning coast fast approaching. The screams of the tortured were growing louder and louder, and I did my best to block them out. Behind us, the costume mob was closing in. Check the other side of the boat! Emily scrambled across the wooden deck. She leaned over the railing, looking either way. There's nothing! What do we do, Holly? What do we do? Emily raced back over to me. I watched as the horde of black-eyed people stalked closer, almost upon us. I shook my head, tears rushing down my cheeks. I... I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Emily embraced me in a hug. It's all right. It's okay. This is all my fault. No, it's not. You didn't have any idea things would go down like this. I'm sorry, Emily. I'm so sorry. I opened my eyes and saw that the group of black-eyed costume characters were standing right there surrounding us. They stood staring, mere inches from Emily and I. I could hear the sounds of the tortured souls ready to usher us into the gates of hell, but worst of all, I could hear the sobs of my best friend, who I had condemned to this fate. As we continued to hug each other, I waited for the mob to rip us apart or drag us across the deck back to Mother Mary. But that didn't happen. They just stood there, watching us, waiting. My eyes slowly looked down over the railing to the dark waters below. As I watched the water race past us, a sense of hope built in my stomach. Jump. What? Jump! With no further warning, I grabbed Emily by the arms and pushed her as hard as I could over the railing. At the same time, I bent my knees and catapulted myself into the air. With my eyes closed, I jumped over. I could feel myself falling, weightless, hurtling towards the waters below. It felt like I was in the air for an eternity. I could hear Emily screaming, screaming my name. I was emerged in darkness, 
I could not see, and I could not hear. The coldness of the icy water felt like tiny shards of glass against my skin, and I could feel my lungs tightening in desperation for air. It was torture, but I was at peace. The pressure of the water wrapped around me like a blanket, and I felt my eyelids grow heavy. My legs and arms were stiff, but even still, I clawed towards the surface. I emerged from beneath the murky darkness, gasping for air. (gasps) Holly! Holly! I quickly wiped the water from out of my eyes and scanned the surface. The light from the fires had illuminated the water, so I had a pretty good view of the surrounding area. My head was on a swivel, looking every which way, trying to find Emily bobbing in the waters nearby. I couldn't find her. Emily? Emily, where are you? Treading water, I turned towards the sound of Emily's cries. Looking back towards the riverboat, my heart sank as I laid my eyes upon her. The riverboat was a hundred yards away, but I could see the outline of Emily hanging from the side of the ferry. At first I thought that she was holding onto the railing, but then I saw the horde of black-eyed people. They had reached out and grabbed her in midair. Emily! Emily! I watched as Emily struggled to break free from the people, swinging and kicking her legs. I watched as she used her free hand to scratch and claw at the people holding on to her. It was no use, though. They had too tight of a grip on her. I began swimming towards the ferry. Emily! Emily, I'm coming! I began swimming as fast as I could, taking deep breaths as I fought against the water. I felt the muscles in my arms ache as I swam for God knows how long. But when I looked up, I saw that the ferry was even further away than it had been moments before. I watched as the horde of freaks pulled Emily up over the railing and onto the ferry. I treaded water and listened to her scream my name, begging for me to help her. All I could do was wait and listen until those screams stopped, and the only thing I could hear was the crackling of the burning fires of hell. I watched as the ferry boat continued on its journey to hell. I watched as it grew further and further away. Tears streamed down my cheeks as I called for my best friend, knowing that she would never respond. As I stared at the ferry, praying for Emily's soul, a dark figure made its way towards the back of the boat and approached the railing. The figure stood there, looming, and stared across the water at me. I couldn't see her white eyes, but I could tell from her hunched silhouette that it was Mother Mary. I stared back at the wicked woman on the deck of the ship. Suddenly, I saw another figure approach the old woman from behind, and my heart. Emily, I'm so sorry. I floated in the water, watching as the ferry disappeared into the blazing inferno of hell. I never took my eyes off Emily. After a few moments, I watched as the fires dimmed and then disappeared altogether, leaving me in total darkness. I swam in the opposite direction of the riverboat. I I don't know for how long, but it seemed like I swam for days. My muscles ached and I felt exhaustion begin to take over me. My fingers eventually met sand and I crawled my way out of the water and onto the shoreline. I laid on the beach trying to catch my breath. I stared up into the darkness of the night into the starless sky. My eyelids grew heavy and though I told myself I'd only close them for a moment, sleep overcame me. When I awoke, it was to bright lights, peppered ceiling tiles and the sound of medical equipment beside me. My eyelids fluttered, the artificial lights blinding me. I groaned as I tried to sit up. She's awake. Mom? Suddenly, Mom was at my side. I felt the warmth of her hand in mine. 
Don't try to move, honey. Just rest. I eased myself back into the hospital bed, leaned my head on the pillow, and almost immediately fell back to sleep. I was woken up again a few minutes later, and when I opened my eyes, I found my entire family standing over me along with a doctor and, and several nurses. After talking to the doctor for a few minutes and answering a couple of questions, I finally found out what happened. I wasn't found on the riverbank. I wasn't found passed out, soaking wet and exhausted from swimming. I was found in my car next to my best friend. We had been driving home from a night at our friend's house when we'd gotten broadsided by a pickup truck. The driver had been drinking and ran a red light. My car rolled several times and when rescue units came, they had to use the jaws of life to remove us. My dashboard had been smashed so badly that it crushed both of my legs. This was the evening of Halloween. Both of us were unconscious, and by the time they'd brought us to the hospital, we were officially diagnosed as being in a comatose state. My comatose lasted eight days. There was no Mother Mary's scary Halloween fairy, at at least not in this world. The details are a little hazy, but I, I think it's like this. What happened to me, what happened to Emily, that was all real. She and I both got on that boat. We both took the trip down to the river towards hell. It wasn't a dream, but it wasn't something that happened in the real world. It was a battle between life and death. If I had stayed on that boat and rode the ferry into the fires of hell, I have no doubt that that would have been my fate. That was Emily's fate. She had been in a coma too. She was two hospital rooms down from me the entire time, and on the same day that I woke up, my best friend passed on to the other side. Complications due to her injuries is what they told me, but I can't help but to think that if I'd managed to help my friend off Mother Mary's ferry, she would have survived just like me. I'll never forget Emily. I'll never forget my experience on Mother Mary's scary Halloween ferry. I'll never forget how the fires of hell felt. And I'll never forget the screams of the tormented souls. Because one day, inevitably, I'm going to feel and hear these things again. I think it's reaching critical mass. Please pick up. I can't lose. Final tale. A whisper's breath lead us onwards into death. Pick up the phone. I need help. I can feel the portal opening. Come on closer. Listen in. Filled with wrath and drunk on sin. Data locked. ASM Fear, the internet's scariest Halloween ASMR channel, Liesel Jones. Atticus Jackson, Nicole Goodnight, Sarah Thomas, Kyle Akers, PMSFX, Brandon Boone! <laughs> I've always associated the cozy, comforting creepiness with Halloween. 
wolfed up the scary stories and movies, safe in the knowledge that they can't really hurt me. But I've also felt that something's lurking in the shadows of the holiday. Some ancient, forgotten menace. But it never came along, never lived up to its unspoken threats. And I thought nothing could really scare me anymore. Until last October. I was suffering after I'd moved to Portland. The stress of living in a new city, trying to settle into a new job as far away as possible from my ex Becky and everyone else I knew. But that planned fresh start had gotten stale pretty soon. The unique new opportunity became the same old, same old within a few weeks, and my co-workers weren't exactly my type. And the way I ended it with Becky had been pretty messy, and the loose ends chafed my mind. Not wanting to develop a sleeping pill habit, I did some online research for a more natural remedy, and became intrigued by ASMR. Lots of people know about ASMR these days. It's gotten pretty popular on YouTube. Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response Those relaxing tingles in the head and body some of us get as a, a reaction to particular types of stimuli. Certain sounds, certain visual cues. There are YouTube videos that cater for all tastes. I started off watching the ones where cute girls whisper and gaze attentively as they slowly brush and tap their fingertips all over the mic. Hey, I was in a new city and I was pretty lonely to be honest. You know how it is. It wasn't a sex thing though, really. It's a completely different physical reaction. A kind of fuzzy, pulsing warmth that blooms inside my head totally zones me out. And I got into a habit of watching a playlist of my favorite ASM artists, as they're called, every night to help me fall asleep. The weeks slipped by, and while my sleep improved, the excitement factor in my life didn't. And so I found myself delving deeper into the world of ASMR. I found a subgenre based on role plays. Some of them are pretty mainstream a visit to a barber shop, an eye exam, that kind of thing. Some of them, though, are more niche. Ever wonder what it's like to be kidnapped by a psychosurgeon and experimented on? Or want to be smothered by a succubus who has a penchant for snipping scissor blades in your face? Like I said, the videos cater to all tastes. I guess that was the point where my search for relaxation somehow got mixed up with my fascination with fear. The videos induced a blend of trust and terror that should have been disturbing, but was comforting in a bizarre way. It's kind of hard to explain, but it felt like the tingles I got while watching the horror-themed roleplays were just the tip of something, that they were hinting at some deeper, more thrilling experience that I should be able to reach, should be able to unlock. I got this urge to find something more and more extreme. Halloween was approaching and it felt like the right time to indulge this new obsession. And it wasn't like I had anything better to do. I didn't have high expectations though. When I found this YouTube channel with the preposterous name ASM Fear, the internet's scariest Halloween ASMR channel. It looked pretty corny at first glance. The thumbnail showed a scene that could have been from a low-budget kids' TV show. A black background with a crescent moon painted on it. A 
A cutout tree with a large fake spider web draped over it next to a toy-like jack-o'-lantern and a scarecrow dummy with a pumpkin head. And standing in front of these props, a witch. Well, a woman made up like a witch from some twisted fairy tale. She wore thick gray face paint and pale contact lenses. A large, dark wart, presumably fake, erupted from her nose. Strands of black and gray dyed hair dangled out from under the hood of her black robe. She posed, beckoning, her fingernail painted with a spider web. Black lip gloss stretched into a wide, crazy grin. I scanned the description below the video, which suggested wearing earphones for the full experience. I slipped mine on as I snorted and pressed play. Salutations, seeker of sensations. Welcome to my forest of fears. I'm Lysus, your witch of whispers, your sorceress of susurrations. The voice wasn't as whispery as your typical ASM artist, but it was still quite low and had a weird cadence. Certain consonants she uttered resonated and scattered shivers through my brain and my spine, although I couldn't see her microphone. Tis the season to be creepy, crawly. Let me treat you to my tricks. Let me scare you stiff. This is our safe expanse, where you can explore and adore. Adore and explore, terror and more. She slowly waved and rippled her fingers in front of her face as she spoke, making exaggerated movements with her eyes and mouth, constantly staring into the camera with those pale, filmy eyes. It should have been comical, but it had a weird effect on me. Similar to my usual ASMR tingles, but my gut also tightened and my heart rate started to rise. It was both soothing and scary. I paused the video and tried to shake off the feeling. I glanced at the comments section to distract myself. It didn't look like everyone shared my experience. LOL, I've had dumps more scary than this stupid witch. This is supposed to be the internet's scariest Halloween channel? So pathetic. Okay, I'd probably watched way too many ASMR videos compared to most people, but there was something different about this one. I resumed it. Only some are susceptible. Only some are desirable. If you are one of the few who can truly hear, then I will take you further into fear. A journey into dread. An odyssey into fright. Culminating with your ultimate show on All Hallows Night. Now, let my words guide you and beguile you. Follow my lesson. Prove you can listen. Listen and tell me what I want you to hear. She took a step back and grasped what looked like thick twigs poking out of the scarecrow's sleeve. Methodically, she began to snap. My attention centered on the repetitive cracking sound. The way she smiled indulgently as she broke each digit one by one. I was entranced. Listen to each snap and into the space betwixt each snap. What can you really hear? She froze and gazed into the camera as if she was looking directly at me. Now, this is where you dare. Let this video play out and switch off. Then listen. Listen deeper than you've ever listened. If you hear it, tell me. Tell me what I want you to hear. 
She mimed removing a set of earbuds and stopped still, unnaturally still. I kept looking at her until the video ended. She didn't move a muscle. I felt compelled to try what she'd instructed and removed my earbuds. I closed my laptop's lid, its faint green power light the only remaining illumination in the room. I listened. Listened deeper than I've ever listened. Nothing but silence in my empty apartment. And then... I froze for a moment before spinning around on my chair. Nothing. Nobody there. The door was still open. What the... I stumbled to switch on the light and went out into my hallway. Nothing out of place. I shook my head and wandered back into my study, flopped down in front of my laptop. I opened it and read the rest of the video's description. If you heard it, tell me. Tell me what I want you to hear. Email HalloweenIntake2019 at ProtonMail.com I was tempted, but also reluctant. What exactly was on offer? I replayed the video several times, but I didn't hear the sounds again no matter how hard I tried. I looked to see what other videos were on the channel. It seemed like she'd only ever released four other videos, one every October for the past four years. I played them all, and they were pretty much the same as the first one I'd watched. There were some slight differences in the scenery, like a different phase of the moon in the background, the fake tree or the scarecrow being a different size or position. But other than that, it was pretty much the same content every year. Weird. The text in the description was also the same, just different years in the email addresses. The videos weren't exactly popular. None had made it into triple-figure views, and the few comments were mainly derisory. But there was one from 2016 that stood out. Stay away from this shit. It's real. It hurts. The user who'd left it was no longer active, hadn't posted anything since 2017. I navigated back to this year's video, but decided against watching it again before shutting down for the night. Inevitably, I replayed the video several times the following day, but didn't experience the sounds again. I eventually gave in and emailed. Hi. Gotta admit, I'm fascinated by your video. I heard this after the first time I played it. Footsteps behind me and a door slamming shut. How did you do that? More importantly, do I win a prize? Happy Halloween. Sean. It was two long days before I got a reply. Sean, I'm glad you've told me what I wanted to hear. I'm afraid I can't reveal my secrets, but I can tell you that I'm an independent researcher in a variety of specialist fields, including ASMR, hypnosis, psychology, and ritual magic. I'm perfecting my forays into fear and I'm always looking for willing participants. I found the Halloween season to be particularly fruitful. So far, we've demonstrated our abilities at auditory transmission and reception. The next steps will involve visual and tactile terrors. I can't offer any financial compensation or even a mention in a research page. And of course, it will be all entirely at your own risk. You already know if you're interested. To experience the true terror you're after, 
Go to the link below and follow the instructions. Yours, Lysus. I didn't know exactly what kind of response I'd expected, but I was still disappointed. She made it sound pretty mundane, like a student project or something. There wasn't any of the mysticality that the video had hinted at. I almost deleted the email. But, of course, I didn't. Sometime later that evening, after a few bottles of Kraft IPA, I opened the messages again, hovered my mouse pointer over the link for a moment, and clicked it. It led me to a page which instructed me to download the Tor browser for access. Oh, great. The infamous dark web. I almost backed out. Almost. I'd just be careful. Just stop and uninstall if it looked like I was getting into anything illegal. The link led to a file sharing site called ShareOfile. It required me to register and I made sure not to use anything like my real name or my usual passwords. I was then able to access a playlist that contained one video. I felt a surge of adrenaline as I played it. The scene was familiar. Same storybook background, same nightmarish witch. Welcome, true seekers of true terrors. You told me what I wanted you to hear. Be aware, you will only experience deeper horror if you follow my instructions without error. Follow precisely so you can see. The screen switched to a white background, and instructions in typewriter-style text started to tap out. For the next step, you'll need an armful of fallen leaves. Have them with you at 11 on the night of October 25th, when the next video will be available. Not for the first time, I felt like I was being taken for a ride. I was seriously meant to collect a bag of stinking leaves to watch a video? What was I expected to do with them? I sighed and looked around the site, clicked on a tab labeled Users. My own username, Mr. Z, was listed with three others, Jason Kruger, Shonen90, and J2. There was an option to contact using private messaging. What did I have to lose? I sent the same message to everyone. Hey, do you know anything more about this? Have you done it before? Are you going to gather leaves for the next video? I frequently checked the site for replies throughout the day. I'd ended up working mainly from home, so it wasn't a problem. The first reply was from the user called Jason Kruger. Hey, Z. First timer here, too. I I don't know anything, but... I know this could be awesome. That footstep effect? How did she do that? But no, I ain't gonna get no leaves. What did they do? How did she know anyway? A few hours later, I got a message from Shona90. Hi. Sounds like you're finding this as weird as I am. No, I haven't done this before. We've got this far, so I think it's worth following the instructions without error. I'll be there with leaves at 11 on the 25th. Maybe it'll be a live stream? She sounded nice, and I wondered what she'd look like. I thought about sending her another message, but worried that might come across as creepy. Especially on a dark website called Sharofile. I never got a reply from the third user. On the afternoon of the 25th, I grabbed an old backpack and walked to the local park under a dull October sky. When I was sure nobody was watching, I scooped up a handful of fallen leaves. I went back to my apartment and waited, 
filled backpack at my feet. A notification rang out and a new video appeared on the playlist. It trembled as I donned my earbuds and clicked play. Lysa stood between the fake tree and the scarecrow. She languidly blinked a couple of times. Salutation seekers, tonight we forge further into fear. She started scratching the index finger of her left hand on the trunk of the tree, slowly tracing some serpentine symbol over and over. Her eyes and the tip of her painted fingernail glinted when they caught the camera light. See my mudra intently. Hear my mantra intensely. She plucked a dry leaf that was stuck to the tree and crumbled it, purposefully grinding the fragments between her fingers. The crackling sounds filled my head. You compliantly collected the fallen leaves of the fall and must now unfailingly follow the following directions. She took another dry leaf. Stand and let the leaves fall before your feet. She released her leaf and it spun as it floated down. Without thinking, I stood up, reached for my backpack and poured out the leaves. Now step out into the Halloween parade. Let your feet fall onto the prepared ground. Again, I obeyed. Will you walk into wonder with me? She crumbled another leaf between her fingers. Will you walk into wonder, desirous to deepen your dread? Only some are susceptible, the solitary, the secret. Only some are desirable, the insensitive, the self-centered. I found myself starting to tread on the leaves, walking on the spot as if on an invisible treadmill. The sounds of the leaves underfoot mixed with the one lysis was crushing, saturating my ears. I kept trudging onwards, fixated on Lysis's eyes and hand movements. I wasn't moving any closer to the screen, but her image grew, filled my mind. Now, close your eyes. Look. Look deeper than you've ever looked. She slowly closed her eyes and I followed. The ghost of her face faded as I continued to tread on the leaves. Look deeper, deeper than you've ever looked. I started to feel like I was sinking into quicksand. I didn't panic at first. I calmly kept on, sinking deeper. Whatever I was moving into wasn't cold or wet. It wasn't really any kind of substance. I was pushing into a resistance that was sucking me down. Tinges of fear sparked through my body as I sunk deeper. The substanceless substance covered my legs and my chest. Desperation struck as it approached my throat, but I couldn't stop marching onwards and downwards. Far enough, for now, into my otherworldly underworld. I stopped. It felt like my body was encased in gel. Panic thundered in my heart, but I couldn't move. Time to look deeper than you've ever looked. My eyeballs involuntarily rolled down, but there was only blackness. Look. Deeper. Yes. Down there. My eyes strained as I stared. Nothing. Then something shifted in the depths. An oily wave breaking in an oceanic obsidian. Was something approaching? 
Keep looking. Deeper. Yes, there. Feel the fear you deeply desire. A faint gray shadow began to emerge. It stretched in my direction, taking on a more definite form as it got closer. It was a finger. A gnarled gray finger reaching out of black nowhere. It beckoned as it inched closer, and I felt myself sinking towards it. The gray nail on its tip became sharper and revealed a design. The same spiderweb as on Lysis's fingernails. My eyes snapped open, and I gasped as if surfacing from underwater. I was back in my study, but still couldn't move. On-screen Lysis was tracing a symbol with her finger on the tree. She paused and blinked. Now, time to feel. Feel closer than you've ever felt. My eyelids fell shut, and I was back in the blackness, immersed to my chin. The finger swiped at me from the dark. Terrified, I forced my eyes open. But this time, I didn't return to reality. I remained in the hallucination. The finger's blade-like nail only inches from my face. It swept downwards and sliced into my shin. Helpless, frozen agony. Almost as bad as the physical pain were the noises. Scraping skin, tearing muscle, shaving bone. Intimate tortures at deafening volumes. I tried to struggle with every fiber of my body, but it was hopeless. I couldn't move. New sounds infiltrated the nightmare. A mass of spider-like things poured from the base of the finger. They swarmed towards the fingernail that still tore agonizingly at my leg. The shapes were about to spill off the end of the finger when I was able to see them clearly. Tiny, gray disembodied hands clamoring, hungry to touch me. They scrambled onto my skin. Some burrowed into the gash in my leg while countless others stabbed their pin-like nails into me. I screamed my eyes open. I glimpsed Lysis in the video just before it finished. She was smiling as she raked her fingernails into the scarecrow. I shakily realized I could move, but winced at the crackling noises I made as I stepped off the leaves. The sounds were amplified and buzzsawed my brain. I pulled myself up and tapped my laptop's spacebar to wake it. It sounded like I'd slammed a huge oil drum. Very, very gently I moved my mouse to the Sharrow file window. The video had disappeared, but I had a new private message. It was from Shona90. Wow, wee, Mr. Z! Did you see that? Did you feel it? Oh, can you still hear it? Fucking amazing! I can't wait for the next one. Any idea when that'll be? S. It sounded like she enjoyed it more than I did. But then, wasn't this what I was looking for? I checked my body. No cuts, no damage. I was physically fine, and the weird amplification effect was wearing off. So, what did I have to worry about? This was the ultimate dark thrill I'd been searching for to satisfy that urge. 
mind-fucking danger at a safe distance. ASMR Ultra. Shona was right. This was fucking amazing. I messaged her back. Ah, yes. Yep. Saw it all and felt it all. Finger, the insect hand things. Awesome. I guess we'll hear something before Halloween, right? Take care. Mr. Z. But my real name also begins with S. I hesitated, but finally decided not to delete the schoolboyish smiley at the end. Before closing the window, I noticed that Jason Kruger was no longer listed as a user. Every other day over the following week, we ventured further into Lysis' world. The visions became more lurid, the sensations more real. Fantastic, barely describable scenes melting and morphing into each other. I was a witch's broomstick, zooming through a haunted house, crashing through its roof to soar into a grinning full moon that cross-faded into a clown's face that stretched into a reflection in a forest pool where a carnival of malformed demons danced around the murky water I'd become, before freezing and transforming into the glass lid of a coffin as I was buried alive at a Victorian funeral. My casket overflowing with spiders. Scenes from half-remembered movies, books, or dreams plucked from obscure corners of my mind and projected close up into my consciousness. The amplification effect continued after each experience, but tended to fade a few hours afterwards. It was worth it. We'd been instructed to obtain some additional props to watch some of the videos. Had to complete some simple task for the others, but nothing ridiculous. By October 29th, my study was virtually empty of furniture, and I'd painted the walls black. Lysis said these things were conducive to transmission. J2 couldn't hack it, and had vanished from the list of users a couple of days earlier. As another plus, it felt like me and Shona were starting to get close. We exchanged messages on Sherophile. She wasn't ready to exchange any other contact deals yet, but I knew she'd get there. Disappointingly, that night's video from Lysis just contained one of her typewriter-style messages. For the climax of our explorations on All Hollows Night, you will need to receive my treats. Give me your address tonight so the treats can be couriered to you tomorrow. They are essential for the climax of our explorations. You are so close. Do not falter now. Almost as soon as I'd finished reading, I got a message from Shona. Um, really not sure about that. Giving her my real-world address is a bit too real. I kind of felt that way too, but on the other hand, this was too good to miss out on. And I didn't want Shona to think I was wussing out. I get what you're saying, but I'm going to go for it. Are you crazy? You know I am. Come on, we've got this far. We've talked so much about this. The ultimate creepy Halloween experience we've always yearned for since we were kids. Nothing bad's happened. When will we ever get another chance like this? Well, she puts out a video every year. Yeah, but you know we can't trick her. Come on, let's go for it. There was a long pause before she answered. Sorry, S. 
but I just can't. I've been through some shit in my life. This was helping me forget, but I'm too scared to take a real risk. In videos, in my room, all on my own, that's okay. But I just can't. It felt like she was slipping away. Shit. But I wasn't going to let her stop me. It's okay. I understand. I'm going to go ahead. Wish me luck. I wish I could join you. Really do. I'd love to know what happens. I'll probably get kicked off here like the others after I don't comply, so if you get a chance, let me know how it went. My email's callieshona3 at outlook.com. Don't make me regret telling you. Shona, real name, X. While I composed a reply, her name vanished from the users list. I slapped my desk, instantly regretting it as the reverberation hit me. I pulled myself together and sent Lysis a brief message with my address. The package was delivered by UPS before noon on Halloween. A plain cardboard box from a company called SC Cheap Imports. I carefully opened it in my study. Leaves had been used instead of packing foam. I flinched at the crunching as I delved inside. My fingertips grasped something clammy and rubbery. I pulled out a pallid face. A zombie mask. I examined it. Nothing unusual other than it didn't have eye holes. I steeled myself and reached back in. There were two other items. A large, battery-powered jack-o'-lantern light and a plastic spiderweb. The same ones Lysis had on her set. I shook my head. A sheriff-file notification pinged. Two new videos uploaded by Lysis. She must have received her delivery notice. No magic in the timing there. I opened the video titled Watch Now. It was one of her typewriter variety. Surprise! I hope you like your treats. Be at the coordinates below at 11 tonight for your ultimate experience. Be sure to bring your gifts and your phone with my other video downloaded on it. Do not watch it until the appointed hour. I entered the coordinates into Google Maps. They referenced a hill in a forest park less than 10 miles from my apartment. I wondered how long it had taken Lysis to plan all this. I worked hard on quashing my doubts for the rest of the afternoon. Was I crazy for going through with this? Watching a video in a forest on Halloween night? But Lysis hadn't disappointed yet. Far from it. And what did I have to fear? She was weird, but not physically intimidating. And I knew what I was capable of if I was pushed. Just in case, I retrieved one of my folder knives and slipped it into the side pocket of my cargo pants before I headed out. I arrived at the location over an hour early to check it out. The coordinates led me to a huge dead oak at the center of a clearing. It was smattered with graffiti and someone had painted the tips of its branches blood red. I scouted around, but it didn't look like anyone had been there recently, though. It felt blood-tingling, yet safe, waiting and watching at the edge of that clearing. The hissing of the breeze and the branches triggered some tingles, and my mind drifted back to the ASMR videos I'd watched before encountering Lysis. 
Even the edgy ones seem so tame now. But they were part of what led me here, to this strange wooded hilltop on Halloween night. I could trace things even further back. That Halloween when I was ten years old, when my neighbor Eve made me up as a zombie for a party. I was mesmerized by the gentle touch of the makeup brush, the closeness of her smile, her eyes. I developed a crush on her, but she was a couple of years older than me and wasn't interested. I could live with that during high school, but when we got to an age when an age gap wouldn't matter to most people, she still wasn't interested. Even when I started making real money, she didn't want to know. That did piss me off. Still, she came to regret underestimating me, just like Becky did. A reminder from my phone broke my thoughts. Almost 11. I swept my phone's light around the clearing before walking out to the dead tree. I took Lysis' gifts out of my pack and watched my phone. When the clock flipped to 11, I played the video. A close-up of Lysis' face. Faint lines webbed her face paint and her voice was less measured than usual. So, here we are at last. The scariest night of the year. The scariest night of your life. You've done well to follow my instructions so far. Keep up the good work, and you will be terrorized beyond your imaginings. She moved back and began to move her hands as if she was weaving an imaginary needle, slowly threading in and out. My eyes followed. You have my gifts. Fasten the web to the highest branch you can reach and light the lantern beneath it. My body followed her instructions. The silvery plastic web reflected flickers from the lantern's fake candlelight. Now, set down your phone and don the mask. I dropped my phone and drew the mask over my face. It snapped around my neck and my heart pounded. Pure darkness, restricted breathing. I still wouldn't admit this was a mistake. Now reach out for the web. I hesitated. Was she going to make me hang myself or something? Embrace your fear. Trust me, and reach for the web. I tentatively raised my hand, but couldn't feel the web. I swiped around. It should be there. Then, something moved and touched my hand. I recoiled. (laughs) Something out there hissed and brushed my hand again. Only some are susceptible. Only some are desirable. The remorseless. The guilty. Embrace your fear. Trembling, I raised my arm. The web coiled around my hand. Its clammy material wound down my arm, then my torso before tightening around my legs and digging itself into the ground. I was rooted to the spot. The video went silent and I sensed the light from my phone switching off. Someone was there. I tried to turn, but the web dug itself deeper. It almost touched me as it moved past, casting a faint shadow on the black interior of the mask. It said nothing while it attended to some activity in front of me. The sounds were unbearable. They flooded my head, frazzled my muscles, but fear in the mask prevented me from screaming. The sound stopped, 
and I sensed the figure was standing close. Happy Halloween. Trick or treat. Sorry for the cliches, but it's a big part of how all this works. Childhood conditioning and shit. My mouth twitched uselessly inside the mask. Let me help you with that. She slid her fingers under the mask and snapped it up over my upper lip. (gasps) That's better. Now, trick or treat? I knew there was no point trying to reason or question. Treat? She squeezed the sides of my mouth and pushed something inside. My tongue pressed against a soft, fluid-filled lump. She pressed firmer and further inside. It burst. Warm, metallic pus spattered inside my mouth. I almost gagged as an image of Lysis' wart sprang into my mind. She pulled back and I spat out the slime. Let's try again. Trick or treat? Trick, I guess. Excellent. But I sense you might have been hoping to trick me. Her hand slid into the pocket containing my knife and took it out. It was just in case. Just for self-defense. I bet. Don't worry. I'm not planning to stab you tonight any more than I was planning to hang you. Relief cascaded through me. But, going back to your previous answer, this will certainly help with the trick. Confusion erased my relief. Lysis shifted sideways. The knife whizzed past my ear and struck something. Every sound burned through me. I had no idea what was happening. I was only glad that it wasn't happening to me. Gradually, the noises subsided. Now, third and final time. Trick or treat? Please. Please. Treat. Enjoy. She curled her fingers inside my mask and slowly pulled it over my head. My eyes remained shut. I didn't want to see whatever was waiting out there. Go on. Enjoy your treat. I reluctantly opened my eyes. The first thing I saw was that the web was somehow still hanging from where I'd tied it to the tree. My eyes followed it down to the object that dangled from it. I quaked. A stained sack contained the destroyed body. Four stumpy tourniquets where its arms and legs should be. The scarecrow's head flopped, and Lysis smiled at my horror as she prized her fingers into its eye holes and cracked it open. The chunks of orange flesh smacked to the ground, trailed by strings of gore. I tried to look away from the rags of flesh and blood-soaked strands of hair that framed the hole where there should have been a face. I tried, but failed, as something started to push out of the head, outwards through the carnage. Blackness rose in my vision as a thin gray finger curled and beckoned me. Whatever Lysis did to me didn't end that night. Whatever influences she'd screwed into my brain, whatever poison she'd injected into me lingered and infected my whole life with fear and pain. When I came to in the clearing, there was no trace of Lysis or her props. 
As I struggled up from the forest floor, the crunch of each crumbling leaf deafened me. Every prickle from a twig stabbed like a sword. And it's been getting worse. Sounds amplified louder every day. My senses of touch and sight becoming increasingly hypersensitive. Nobody can help. Neither Lysis nor Shona, if she ever existed, replied to my emails. It got so unbearable I couldn't even leave my apartment. I had to quit my job and I've been draining my savings on deliveries for months. Then there's the nightmares and the sense of dread heightening as Halloween approaches again. It's only a few weeks away now, and I'm barely able to sleep. I was lying on my airbed when I heard a sound from the direction of my study. I crept into the hallway and saw a glow coming from beneath the door. Must have left my laptop on. The screen was a gray blank. As I reached toward the power button, the display switched to a video player. That's not possible. I, I've deleted The pointer moved itself to the play icon. Lysis's face appeared on screen, smirking. She began to trace a symbol in the air. It sounded like her fingernails scraping the inside of the screen. I clamped my hands over my ears, and everything went silent. I cautiously lifted one hand and listened. Lysis pointed at me. I froze as a gray hand wrapped over my face. Scared you, Steph? I've been paralyzed ever since. Propped up here in my study. Lysis has been arranging the room, setting the scene for this year's videos. One of her final preparations was to twist a hollowed-out pumpkin onto my head. Through the holes carved in its stringy flesh... I helplessly watch her begin to record her routine. Salutations, seeker of sensations. Welcome to my forest of fears. I'm Lysis, your witch of whispers, your sorceress of susurrations. Her every word forks fear through my body. Every touch ignites a shudder. And throughout it all, the knowledge that I'm going to be playing the part of her scarecrow this Halloween... Let my words guide you and beguile you. Follow my lesson. Prove you can listen. Listen, and tell me what I want you to hear. She steps back and reaches for my fingers. Hello? Yes, I'm here. Of course, I've tried turning it off and back on again. I, um, I I think, or uh, maybe. Ah, okay. No, no, I hadn't tried that. Yes, yes, it's fine now. Thanks for your time. Oh, and now to put the season pass Halloween bonus special together. (laughs) Ha 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 
you for joining us on our journey down the lost highway. The musical score was composed by Brandon Boone. Our production team is Phil Mykolski, Jeff Clement, and Jesse Cornett. Our creative content manager is Olivia White. I'm your host and executive producer, David Cummings. Please visit thenosleeppodcast.com for show notes and more details about the people who bring you this show. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for listening and for being a supportive Season Pass member. As the darkness fades, it feels like you're going to dream tonight. This audio production is copyright 2020 by Creative Reason Media, Inc., all rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media, 